That to-do list you have needs one more thing. Chill. It's an easy thing to do. Just crack open an ice-cold Coors Light and chill. Take the afternoon off and binge watch anything. Go to happy hour and stay for a couple hours. Who's counting anyways? Or hang out with just your dog because you've had enough human interaction this week. Whatever you do, do it with a Coors Light. Mountain cold refreshment made to chill. 2020 Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Celebrate responsibly. Hey, it's Kanzano. I appreciate you making this podcast part of your day. Make sure you subscribe if you want more and leave us some feedback. Away we go. Initialize sequence. Welcome to the Baldcast, a production of John Kanzano's Bald Face Truth. Well, the Pac 12 Conference will not unveil a meteorite deal on Friday. They are expected to uh, to give an update, though. George Klyovkov, the Pac-12 commissioner, will give an update on Friday at Resorts World in Las Vegas. But I am told it won't be the done deal that he unveils. I'm also given some other information that I'm going to share with you. At the root of this, though, expansion. It's looming in the background. Will the Pac-12 conference stay at 10? Will it go to 12? All of that may be wrapped up in this media rights deal. I am told, and I just reported at johnconzano.com, that there are new entrants at the table in this Pac-12 negotiation. What does that mean? New entrants? Is it possible that it's Apple? Is it possible that it's Amazon? Uh, we have to uh, get to Friday and ask George Klyovkov. He's expected to give that update Here's what a source told me just moments ago. Quote, we've had very productive negotiations. New entrants have come in. We're feeling good and our schools will be rewarded for their patience. Pac-12's media deal expected to include a linear component and a streaming element. We'll talk about it on today's show. But I want to drill down on expansion because I'm being told that the Pac-12 is confident that it will land in the same ballpark as the Big 12 Conference uh, $31.6 million distribution annually in their media rights deal. I'd previously been told that the Pac-12 would beat that number. And what may be wrapped up in there is the idea that the conference might be inclined to stay at 10 teams. They stay at 10 teams. It's obviously less money. It's a little bit less money, but it's greater access possibly to the college football playoff. What is the Pac-12 thinking? What will they do? 503-417-7575. Should they expand or not? Let's just start with that. Forget the media rights component. Should the conference expand and put yourself in the shoes of the University of Oregon? Put yourself in the shoes of Utah. Put yourself in the shoes of Washington or Oregon State. Do you want more competition or and a little bit more media rights money? Or do you want less competition? Hey, there's only 10 teams in our conference. All we have to do is be among the top two, and we're likely in. Uh, you know, one plus an at-large possibly in most years. Uh, gosh, there's uh, an awful lot of incentive to possibly stay at 10. 503-417-7575 is the number. Tell me what you would do if you were the Pac-12 conference. Do you expand? Do you add San Diego State? Do you add SMU? If the Pac-12 does stay at 10, easier path for the holdover schools to the expanded playoff. If the conference expands... It adds badly needed inventory and valuable television households. So you have one or the other. Which is it? Uh, I want your take on it as well. I say expand. 
If I'm the Pac-12, I want to be in San Diego State's footprint. I need to get into Southern California. I need the inventory of SMU in San Diego State. I need the additional television households that Dallas-Fort Worth and, and the, uh, the uh, Southern California footprint bring. And I like the idea of looking proactive rather than as the Pac-12 or Pac-10 has looked in the last year, reactive to things. Stephen, what do you say? Expand or do you like the idea if you're Oregon, Utah, and Oregon State of just staying at ten? I love the expansion. I, I think, and I think you, you you're spot on in this. San Diego State, SMU are the two perfect candidates to expand with because then you get back into the um, Southern California. But then you're also reaching Texas. I think that's big as well. And those two schools, I think, they do have potential to become, you know, players in this type of thing. You know, back uh, back in the day, you know, with the Pony Express, they were really good. Now they were cheating also, and they got the death penalty. But they have the money down there that they can invest into the program to make it good. San Diego State, they've proven in basketball that when they put the money in, they invest in that, they can be a really good team. And I think if they do that in football, they can compete as well. So it's, it's not that you're just adding teams to add teams. I think you're adding teams that are going to eventually become you know, pretty solid on the football side. You look at Utah. They were always a good program. It took them a little bit to get going in the Pac-12, but now they're the you know back-to-back defending champions. I'm not saying San Diego State and SMU are going to do the same thing, but I think eventually they can have some seasons where they're really good and they have the money to back it up. Yeah, I think uh, you know if you are the Pac-12, here's what becomes evident, too, before I get in too far into expansion. All of the chicken littles out there, all of the naysayers, all the people who said Oregon and Washington are going to the Big Ten, that said the four-corner schools are splitting up, Colorado's going here, Utah's going there. All of those people, I wonder how they're going to rectify in their minds the idea that the Pac-12 conference has a deal that it's that it likes and uh, is feeling good and feeling galvanized again. Like I don't know. Like what do you think, Stephen? The the Big Twelve disinformation machine, the twelve anons. What do they do when the Pac-12 gets the deal and comes out and says, "Hey, we're staying together"? How do they spin this in a way that helps them sleep at night? I think that they're. I think at this point, then they're going to pivot. They're going to try to say, you know, we're a, we're a basketball conference, and that's when they try to go out and they get UConn or Gonzaga. And I think that's their move that they need to make because they have no other leg to stand on. Like they can't be known as just you know a bigger conference than the Pac-12. If the Pac-12 gets this deal, but what they can do is they can say, well, we're focused more on basketball. There's an untapped market there, and we're going to be more of a basketball heavily uh, focused group. While our football teams are also pretty good as well. So I think that's the move that they make. And they, you know, they'll just say Brett Yormark is out there making moves, doing all these things because he's been out there and saying it. So I think that's that's the way they got to go. They got to go that route, that route if the Pac-12 does indeed get a good media deal that you know trumps over the Big 12 deal. Yeah, you've got to look at the last year and the totality of the reporting. And look, I, I, you know, I, I am tired of this. I have done a number of interviews today with other radio stations and Sirius XM in which we talked about. You know, the uh, the fact that Friday's football media day should be about football. It should be Lincoln Riley talking about football and Chip Kelly talking about football. Um, you know, it's um, uh, it's it's really been sad, I think, in the last year that the narrative has been this attack from the Big 12 footprint. The 12 and on fans who are all up in arms and, and oddly preoccupied with what is happening with the Pac-12. I don't know what's in it for them necessarily. Like, I get why Brett Yormark probably wants to look proactive and aggressive, but I don't get what's in it for the fans of the Big 12 footprint. Do they not understand that the enemy is not the Pac-12? 
the uh, the the you know the enemy is not that. Hey, if the Pac-12 gets a a deal that is uh, better than the Big 12's uh, deal, then it's gonna it's gonna make our conference look bad. That's that's not the enemy. The enemy is the SEC and the Big Ten. The SEC and the Big Ten are threatening to run away with college football. They're threatening to run away with it all. And so I think if you are a Pac-12 fan who has been watching all this, part of the frustration has been that your own conference is not uh, not had its act together, Not doesn't look like it. it is being proactive and aggressive enough. And then part of the frustration probably, too, has been just the chronic, constant distraction, disinformation, 12 and on, conspiracy theory let me throw up a youtube uh, you know blog you know vlog and, and and throw some things out there that that may or may not be true a lot of shoddy reporting a lot of people that that aren't really sourced just throwing stuff out there and maybe this helps them fill their day but i and i can tell you right now there are only about two or three people in the in the space that are you know really concerted on and, and concentrated on giving you sourced in-depth information and I and I really feel good about this show being one of those places that that our listeners can come here you know and sometimes it's not always the most dynamic exciting thing that's going on I'm not trying to get you to click on something when you listen to this radio show I don't care if you listen or not like I, I prefer that you do but if you if it's not for you I don't you you don't need to be here I'm not going to try to convince you to be here I'm just going to give you the the sourced in-depth information I'm going to tell you what's going on I'm going to write that at johnconzano.com and if that's for you, if you want to know what's going on, you tune into the show and you read what I'm writing. And so it's really just been interesting for me to kind of watch the carousel spin in college football and see that, you know, people just throwing stuff out. Oh, Friday, there's not, you know, and this is how they'll, they'll spin it. Oh, there's no deal on Friday. This is just the Pac-12 trying to spin what should be an announcement of their media rights deal at Media Day into something else they're leaking you know they're coming out of course they are of course the pac-12 today picked today to kind of leak that out to espn my source one of my sources at the pac-12 in the ceo group reaches out to me somebody else leaks something to you know john wilner and all of a sudden you've got uh you know uh, the narrative overall across the conference being that hey they're feeling really good about where they are they have had advanced and productive negotiations and a deal is in the near future. But the nugget that I have that I don't think anybody else has is the expansion piece. And what I'm being told is that, you know, there are there is some internal internal uh, motivation. And I'm going to read this to be Oregon in particular and Washington and Utah, that those schools are going, hey, maybe we take a little less money in the meteorites deal and we don't expand. Now, eight eight schools of the 10 remaining must approve expansion it is a vote you have to have eight out of ten votes so you know maybe Oregon is saying hey we don't want to expand maybe Washington is saying we don't want to expand I'm trying to think where else in the conference they really wouldn't welcome competition and the only other place that I see that is Salt Lake City because Utah Washington and Oregon like it or not play by a little different rules Oregon's got Phil Knight. He's the great equalizer. Washington has the Tyee Club, great booster club, fundraiser. They're really sound. They're going to have better NIL money than most, and they're going to operate in a space that says, hey, uh, you know, if everybody has a little less money, it might be better for us. Utah's the same way. They're the only school adding seats to their football stadium. And so the, uh, 
the, you know, the news leak today may be a concerted effort from within the conference to manage expectations for Friday. Certainly, George Klyovkov is going to come out and address media and the conferences, coaches and players are going to talk about the season. And the last thing that the Pac-12 wants is to have the football event turn into this media rights debate. But buried in there are, is an important question about expansion because San Diego State's waiting. SMU's waiting. There are a lot of fans in those footprints that are going, hey, wait a minute, we thought we were going to be included. And I think, ultimately, I think if the Pac-12 is going to get the number that I think they're going to get, it would be because they're going to expand to those teams, humping the brakes now and going, hey, we got enough money and a couple million dollars more a year doesn't really make sense if it means I got to also beat San Diego State and uh, deal with them at SMU. So it's a really interesting kind of uh, you know dilemma for the conference to be in but it is clear I can tell you this that the schools are together the Pac-12 is seeing numbers it likes and there are some new partners at the table who those partners are we will find out we got a great show for you today we got great sound we're going to check in with on the Oregon State beat with Nick Daschel of the Oregonian I am going to uh, bring him on here momentarily coming up at 324 um, and uh, we'll talk to Dashiell about uh, what what he sees on Media Day, and frankly, what is going on with Oregon State at the quarterback position. Um, you know, let's talk about whether or not it's going to be DJ Uyunglele, or whether or not it's going to be Aiden Childs a year before anybody expects. I went back and listened to Jonathan Smith from a year ago at Pac-12 Media Day. I found it very interesting because I did not remember him saying this. But a year ago at Pac-12 Media Day, uh, you know, a lot of the discussion, of course, was about USC and UCLA and all that stuff. And, you know, everybody was, of course, talking about what that meant. But Jonathan Smith spent a lot of time talking about Oregon State needing and wanting to compete. He said that the goal at Oregon State was to end up in the conference championship game. He said, we want to go to Vegas. I thought that was really interesting. You know, that he would speak it into uh, into existence. I like that. But also, he talked about his quarterback room, and it wasn't just Chance Nolan that he was talking about. He talked about Ben Gulbrunson last media day. I found that to be very interesting because I did not remember that, and I did not remember that Gulbrunson was even part of the conversation. And today, as I listened back to Jonathan Smith a year ago, I'm prepping really for Friday when I interview him again. Um, it was interesting to me that he was telling us at that time that he didn't feel great about Chance Nolan. He said in the interview, he said, you know, I'm spinning it another way. I feel really good about the room. And then he talked about Ben Goldbrinson. And, you know, none of us had really heard about Ben Goldbrinson at that point. But I think what Jonathan Smith was signaling to us was that he didn't have total faith in Chance Nolan. Stephen? Like, I, I'm going to listen carefully to what these coaches say on Friday. I think sometimes they're trying to tell us what, what we're not even thinking about. Totally. And I think that's a, that's your job. That's my job. That's Judah's job. That's all of our jobs is to figure out what they're saying when they're not actually saying it or what they're saying when they're just trying to hint it at. Because they do want to tell you. They want to tell you what's going on, but they know they have to be careful and they have to be you know secretive about it. So I am interested to see what he has to say, especially Coach Jonathan Smith about that kind of, you know, the quarterback stuff, because you're right. He, he said it basically last year. 
and we just didn't really you know pick on it. We didn't really run with it, but he's going to tell us what he actually thinks, and that's the type of coach he is, and especially when he's talking to you, John. Like You get the best out of him, so I'm ready to listen to him. I'm ready to hear what he has to say. I'm excited to see you know, if he's out there talking about the Beavers trying to get to Vegas again. They did that last season. It shocked me when he said that, but this year it wouldn't shock me because I expect the Beavers to be up in that, you know, echelon of the Pac-12. So I'm excited to hear what Coach Jonathan Smith has to say uh, coming up in Pac-12 Media Day on Friday. Yeah, and I, I, um, I, uh, I am really going to pay attention, and I always try to do that. I think one of the one of the good things about um, interviewing someone, or one of the best things you can do when you're interviewing someone, is to listen to them. I hear a lot of interviews where you know the host is scripting the questions. I don't script any of the questions. But I thought it was – and, and sometimes the, the, the guest will tell you something that just begs a follow-up question or begs a reaction. And as I went back today, I almost fell off my seat as I was listening to Jonathan Smith talk about his quarterback room because he says, you know, I said, you know, you, 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 don't, you didn't get a guy. You don't have a guy. Chance Nolan comes back. How are you feeling about the room? And he says, well, I'm choosing to look at it a different way. I'm looking at it as, hey, we've got some other guys in the room that I really like, and he starts talking about Ben Gulbrinson. He says, Gulbrinson's coming off this injury. He's a kid I really like. And and I didn't think anything of it. I thought it was just a case of Jonathan Smith kind of wanting to uh, talk about a guy and give a guy a pat on the back that you know is going to be his backup quarterback. But in the end, Gulbrinson ends up starting all these games down the stretch and being the guy. And so I, I really do think it's important when these coaches talk on Friday and you listen to those interviews, you know, you know, keep me honest on it. If you hear the coach say something that begs a follow-up question and I miss it, then, you know, you need to call me out on it because, man, uh, Goldbrinson ended up being his guy. Yeah. Do, and, you, and, yeah. Go do, ahead. You, do you think if he mentions Goldbrinson again in that kind of manner, is it realistic that he's going to start over DJ Uyunga? Like, I just I can't see that, but I understand I can't that either. He, I, I, but I can understand where Jonathan Smith would say those type of things. I can't either, um, you know, and and I think that's why I'm going to listen to him when he said when I ask him who's your starter at quarterback if you have to play a game today, and I'll ask him that Friday, and he'll probably say, well, we're lucky we don't have to play a game, but I'm going to push, I'm going to try to pin him down on that. And then Dan Lanning was really interesting. I pulled. You know some of the some of the media cuts, and I'm gonna do this on Thursday. Thursday, I'll do a big, hey, what they said a year ago. It's fascinating to hear Lincoln Riley, to hear Caleb Williams, to hear Chip Kelly, to hear Dan Lanning, to hear Jonathan Smith, even to hear George Klyovkov. I listened to all of those interviews this morning, and to hear what they said a year ago. And the, one of the questions I asked Dan Lanning was, Coach, what do you think we're going to be talking about? at media day a year from now and he had a very interesting response uh i'll play that interview on thursday or i'll play that cut from the interview on thursday you can hear what he said but it was fantastic all right coming up we are going to pivot to oregon state why not dj Lele. you got ben Gulbrinson. you even have aiden childs the freshman quarterback what is jonathan smith going to do with that position nick dashell covers Oregon State. He's the best on that beat. He's going to join us coming up to talk about it. We'll, we'll get we'll check in with Dashiell and find out kind of where uh, where things stand entering this week. 503-417-7575 is the phone number. Nick Dashiell coming up next. Pac-12 is close. Says uh, they've had productive negotiations according to a source. New entrants have come in 
they're feeling good, and their schools will be rewarded for the patients. End quote. Media deal expected to include a linear component and a streaming element. Up in the air, of course, uh, the idea of the conference expanding. If the conference stays at 10 teams, it's a little less money in the media deal. But keep in mind, college football playoff expansion brings larger revenue, huge payout, huge windfall in the new TV deal when the conference, uh, uh, the college CFP championship uh, event turns into a 12-team bonanza. That means if you stay at 10 teams, you're only splitting it 10 ways instead of 12 ways. So there is uh, sort of a yin and yang going on right now as it comes to expansion. Keep an eye on that. Nick Daschle of the Oregonian covers Oregon State. There is nobody better on the Oregon State beat. You better be reading him. He joins us now. Let me ask you this, Daschle. If if Oregon State had to vote expand or not expand, would they want a little more money in the media rights deal, or would they want to stay at 10 and say, hey, there's less competition to get to the playoff? What do you think Jonathan Smith would say? Boy, that's a tough one. I, I, I think in Oregon State's case, they got to offer the more money, but I could, you know, I, I don't think it's going to be left up to Jonathan, obviously. But you know, if it was up to Jonathan, I think he'd, he, yeah, he'd, he'd vote for ten. Um, <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I mean, I think Oregon State's always got to be in the in a position where, unless it's you know, they're just selling out. They're they're selling their soul for money. I, I think they got to go for the for the bigger check. I'm, I, I mean, obviously, neither one of us is convinced that that's going to happen necessarily. But um, so, yeah, that's what I would say for from Oregon State's perspective. I uh, I am interested to know who's going to start at quarterback for Oregon State. Jonathan Smith continues a tradition of not bringing his quarterback to media day. whole bunch of QBs there, none of them in an Oregon State jersey. Who do you think is the starter if the season started today? Like, who would you lean towards? Well, I, I say this not having seen them do anything, you know, since since April because, you know, they're, they're practicing it. You know, I'm not down there watching him work out on their own. But if DJ has come along enough from spring, like you like you would think, you know, more comfortable with the playbook, more comfortable with the receivers, the offense, everything. I mean, you you, you would think that's probably where they're they're leaning, but but it's a close call right now. I, I I'm still not writing up Ben Gulbertson because, like I said, he, like I've said before. He, last year was his first year as a starter. You you, you got to expect some growth there, and I think there's a possibility he he might be a lot better than than people want to give him credit for. I don't yeah, think don't... it's going to be Aiden Child. I don't think it's going to be Aiden Child. Do you think Aiden Child's red shirts? Do you think he's out of the conversation? I mean, I got to give him like a five percent chance in case he you know just lights camp on fire, but. I think they're going to give him a couple. I mean, he's got four games he can play, so you know, and still keep his red shirt. So I think they're going to give him a couple of cracks, you know, if he shows he can handle the, you know, the the position. I, but I, I mean, I'd be pretty surprised if he beats out two veterans. DJ Uyengalele, what do they need out of him? Is it leadership? Is it just competency? And is it possible that? 
Jonathan Smith uses two QBs. Could he use DJ situationally and Gulbrinson in other situations? What's on the table and what's not? You know, I asked that a lot during the spring, and I think they were more just appeasing my question than anything else as far as the two quarterbacks go. I don't honestly think they're going to do that. Um, I, I think with DJ, you know, they, they know what they got with Ben. They know they can run they can run the offense confidently with, with him. I think they're looking for a little bit more sizzle, and that's what they might be able to get with DJ. Be able to run a little bit more from the quarterback position, be able to get the ball downfield to a receiver, you know, a little bit more, just get a little bit more out of the offense. And I think they're, you know, intrigued by that possibility. But they, they, they know what they can get from, from Ben in terms of, of running an offense. They just want – it needs to be better this year because I mean, if it had been a little bit better last year, you, you know where this team would have went last year. They would have been to Vegas. Um, and, they, were, they, they beat USC sure. and they're, they're in Vegas. Sure. And, and, that, and that, I mean that – that game, I, you've missed this before too. It's going to haunt them for for a long time because they they were at a minimum even with USC and probably the better team that night. They just gave up the one or two plays that you just can't give up. But right, that that game's going to haunt them. So yeah, if the offense just been a little bit better last year. They would have been in Vegas. Nick Dashell with us, Oregon State beat reporter. Make sure you're following him on Twitter among other places. Dashiell, um, you know, let's play a game here. The Oregon State defense from a year ago, which player who's not back this year, in your mind, is the biggest loss for the Oregon State defense? And I'll include guys like Alex Austin and Jaden Grant and Jack Coletto, but Omar Spates landing at LSU, that one hurt too. Where's the biggest loss? You know, I think it might – I don't want to say – I'm going to say a position more than a player because I'm not sure – I'm not sure which one is better between Rajon Wright and Alex Austin. But losing those two guys is, is a big loss. And I, they've got some guys they're looking at, but it's hard for me to believe that they'll be able to replace two guys that are in, in an NFL camp, you know, this, this summer – they'll be able to replace those guys at an at a, at a, at a equal level or better. So I, I would say one of those two guys would, would probably be the hardest, the hardest two to, to replace. The, the defense, can they, do they have young guys that you think can step in and pick up, or is it just an overall leadership loss that just, you know, you're, you're not going to overcome and you just hope to be good enough on the defensive side of the ball and better on offense to make it not matter. Well, they got five. They got five cornerbacks at least that they're looking at that they that they believe are pretty competent, and and all of them have shown some ability, but none of them have. There's between the five of them, there's one start, so we don't know. You know how how what they can do if they're starting game in and game out. I. And the other position, obviously, they got to replace a lot of guys as inside linebacker. But Trent Bray's been around the block a number of times. They've been recruiting better at that position every year. I, I don't have any doubt that they'll be able to find, you know, four guys they'll be able to fill in at that position and make plays just like they've been making in the past. Um, so, but, yeah, the cornerback position is, is the one where 
they got to find they got to find probably three guys that that can make yeah, they can make that position viable this next season. Nick Daschle is with us. Let's talk about the season. Uh, Vegas says eight and a half wins is the over-under. Um, Jonathan Smith not going to be happy with eight wins. He's going to want more than that. He wants to he wants to go to Vegas. How do you see the schedule lining up? Uh, and as you look at it, do you see nine, ten, eleven wins? Where do you see them? Well, I must see at least nine wins because I I picked them second in the in the in the media poll, um, and it's not because they you know necessarily have the second best roster on the team. It's the schedule. That schedule is is it's awesome. I mean, it's everything last year's schedule wasn't. I mean, the the non conference schedule is so doable, and the and the and the conference schedule is, you know, it's they don't play USC. They got they got the, the you know the tougher games at home. I mean, there's no way Jonathan's going to say, "Oh yeah, this schedule's a lot easier than last year." But <laughs> but I think deep I think deep down he would admit that the schedule is is <laughs> is a little bit easier to navigate than last year. And I mean, other than the Oregon game at the end of the season, but that game's the last game of the season. At that point, I mean, if you could get to that point with you know with with ten or eleven wins. Shoot, I mean, your two toughest games are the last two games of the season. I mean, there's there's a path to ten and zero. I'm not saying it's going to happen, but there's a path to it which you couldn't have drawn up last year, or you know, probably any other year in Oregon State history. Maybe not even in 2000, you could have you could have said that. This this schedule, I, I was looking at, and I was thinking, what game will they not be favored in? The Oregon game for sure. But other than that, what game are they not going to be favored in? I mean, Utah, they're playing them at home on a Friday night. What if they're 4-0? There's no way that Utah will be favored in that game. So, I mean, the schedule is what, what makes what makes the season as promising as anything. Well, you got the stadium opening, and I think that's going to capture kind of, you know, the week two vibe as they come home, open the stadium. I think it's going to be really interesting to see what the atmosphere is like inside uh, Reeser Stadium because they've been so good there. But then the schedule in the back half of the season, you're right. In in particular, it's not just even looking at Oregon State. I'm looking at Washington's schedule. Washington goes to USC, plays Utah at home, and then has to go to Oregon State in successive weeks, in weeks 9, 10, and 11. And if you're Oregon State, you're sitting there going – Go play USC in Utah, then come play us at our place. That is a tough task to ask of Washington. Yeah, no, that's that, that's what I mean about the schedule. I mean, and, and before Washington, you know, Oregon State's got Stanford so, at home. So so it's like, you know, that, that, that's a game that steps up too. I'm not, not saying, you know, that Stanford won't be able to give them a challenge. I mean, if you're going to pick teams to play – that's probably about as easy a conference game as you can have going into to a game like Washington. I mean, they have one they have one back to back, you know, road series Arizona and Colorado. I mean, the, the buy is right in the middle of the schedule. It it just like I said, it just sets up. And you know, like you were saying about Washington, that's I mean, that's 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 tough. I mean, to go three and over that stretch, if you if you're picking Washington, you you you, you must know something about this team that. You know, we know they're good, but they got to be really good to, to navigate that schedule. 
Smith as a coach, he kept his his, uh, his uh, Jim Mahalchek, the run game coordinator, highly underrated, I think, in the conference as assistants go. But I think words out that he's hell of a coach. Um, this staff and the continuity, how does that help Oregon State on the field? More than just, oh, I don't have to spend my time going out and hiring new coordinators every year like some other programs had this season. But how does it sort of manifest itself in better play? Well, it's, a, it's you know, it's a consistent consistent message. I mean, the, the the terminology is the same year in and year out. It's they're not bringing in a you know a new offensive line coach that wants wants them to do something different. They're not bringing in a new coordinator that you know is trying to reinvent the offense every third year. You know, the the, the, the only position that's really had to deal with you know a different coach several times has been running back. They're on their Johnson's on his third running back coach. But other than that, they've pretty much every other position, they've been delivering the same message over the course of Jonathan's tenure. So I mean that that alone I think is is, is helpful if as long as you got the players that you know, that can fulfill those the coach's wishes. So I, I mean I just think it's that the the, the messaging. The first and second teams on offense and defense, all conference teams came out today as voted by media, proving the media doesn't know what they're talking about. Everybody's unhappy right now. You hear a lot of belly aching about it. But uh, Anthony Gold, uh, as a return specialist, is a first-team specialist. Uh, but, it, you know, he doesn't show up as a wide receiver uh, on first or second team. Do they have a receiver that they just love, or will it again be kind of Jonathan Smith and Brian Lindgren in the scheme, finding ways to spread the ball around and and exploit the defense? No, that's the big question mark on offense is, is receiver. I mean, the, the, I mean, Gould was was never going to be you know one of the top receivers going into the season because he just doesn't have the resume. Um, but but right now it's it's Gould, it's Silas Bolden, it's Josiah Irish, and then it's you know, seven or eight other guys competing for, for time. And they're going to play six guys. They, they love these freshman receivers, but they're freshmen. So, you know, we're going to have to see how they, they, you know, take part in camp and, and whatnot. And I mean, that there's a reason why, you know, Jonathan went out and tried to pick up a couple of JC receivers during the, you know, in April and May and June. Um, you know, they, they need, they need some, they need some guys who can make plays, and, and Gould and Bolden won't be enough. Now, what what offsets all that is they do have some ability at tight end to catch the ball and get downfield. They they like what Jack Velling can do. You know, they they've got other guys that can can make some plays in the passing game. So, the combination of the size they have at tight end and and the quickness and you know the quickness of a Gould and Bolden or will we'll make we'll make their receiving game i think formidable enough it, it maybe it's better i don't know i mean well that's something we have to see but i know that's that's probably the, the biggest question mark on offense going into the going into camp other than you know who's going to play quarterback the uh media day on friday it looks like the pac-12 will not have a deal to talk about they are now though framing expectations saying that they're near a deal yada, 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 it now means maybe there'll be some football to talk about on Friday. Who do you think the star of the show will be? Is it going to be Coach Prime in Colorado who sort of everybody walks away, or 
You know, there's no Mike Leach. Rest in peace. Chip Kelly's kind of his sun has set. Is it Dion or Bust or what? What's what's the uh, attraction nationally? Well, I suppose if you had to rank the, you know, who's going to be, a, you know, Dion will be number one by by a sizable amount. But I, I would think there's going to be a, a fair amount of you know, buzz around USC just because of their last year and Caleb Williams being back as the reigning Heisman trophy candidate and their FCS, I mean, CFP chances. And, um, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm curious to see how much, how much interest Oregon state's got. I mean, they've gone down, this will be Jonathan's six, six shot at the, at Pac-12 media day. And, um, you know, I'm not saying, you know, he's been busy throughout, through each one because they make them all busy, but I'm just curious what, how, how many people are going to hang around right before lunch to, you know, hear Jonathan talk because he, he's the last one before the, the break. And uh, I'm curious to see how many, how many, how many reporters are going to want to hear what Jonathan has to say. Yeah, I think, I don't know. I think, I think he'll draw a little bit. But you're right, it tends to thin out. The worst is at the end of the day up on Radio Row because you normally get, like, I can remember a couple of years ago, Dashiell, Jed Fish from Arizona it was in his first year, and he was the last coach, and I was debating, do I really need to stick around and talk with Jed or should I just pack up? And the Pac-12 media person came by and said, hey, man, could you could you please interview him? Because everybody else is packing up, and I'm afraid he's going to be walking around, and it's kind of like you know everybody's putting their stools on the table as he's trying to make rounds. This year, though, it's Prime, Coach Prime, and Dan Lanning who are going at the end of the day on Radio Row. So I think uh, they're going to hold, they're trying to hold everybody there, and uh, scheduling a little differently. So we'll see. I will, I will catch you in Vegas, Dashiell. I appreciate you coming on, man. All right, we'll see you. All right, there's Nick Dashiell. Good stuff on Oregon State. We'll unpack that and more coming up. Plus, we'll take a look at the rest of the world of sports. What's going on in the NFL, in the NBA? Anything new with Damian Lillard? We'll have it next. I'm still thinking about Russell Okun and his 40-day fast that we talked about yesterday on the show. I thought about it. Uh, I lasted, uh, you know, part of why I couldn't fast for 40 days is because thinking about fasting for 40 days makes me want to snack. I don't know. The more I talk about not having any food, just drinking water for 40 days, I could probably do 40 hours. I know I can do 40 minutes. I do it during the show. 40 days? No. And, uh, by the way, he lost 100 pounds in his 40-day water-only fast. Nothing but water. That could be really dangerous. You don't want to do that. And And I don't want to sound like... I'm all about uh, not doing things that are dangerous. But not doing things that are dangerous that also involve me being able to eat, I'm all on board for that. Uh, another uh, tidbit, I started watching uh, the quarterback series on Netflix. You seen any of that yet, Stephen? Uh, no, I told my wife, I Ooh. asked her, I said, do you want to watch this with me? And she said yes. And I said, well, yes. I, need to, I need to know because if you don't want to, I'm going to start watching it. So no, she's going to want it. Yeah, so I had to save it for her. But, yes, it is on the list of uh, very soon to watch. Anna was pretty tired when I started it last night on Netflix. And I would have kept watching it. But she was, like, fighting to keep her eyes open. And she said, after about the first five minutes, she said, this is really good. Like, this is well done. 
And I was like, yeah. And I had that moment, and you know it, where it's like, if you're not invested, I'm just going to keep watching, and you can fall asleep, and that's okay. I don't need you to stay awake. I don't need you to, you know, to fight your eyes closing if that's what, you know. We're not in a position where we mutually need to watch it. But I know that she's going to want to rewatch it afterwards. And I don't want to watch it a second time. So I just stopped it. Marcus Mariota's got uh, obviously a heavy presence. The series on Netflix is based on uh, Kirk Cousins, Marcus Mariota, and Patrick Mahomes. Certainly Mahomes is sort of held up as the as the centerpiece of it because he was coming off of a Super Bowl win at the time and an MVP season and baby on the way. And you got to admit that Patrick Mahomes' wife, with all due respect, she's kind of a nightmare, you know? Like, I don't mean that in, the, like, necessarily a bad way, but she's good for reality television is what I'm saying because you just don't know what she's going to say or what she's going to do. And she has a couple of moments. And you realize, too, like, how damn young he is. He's 24 years old doing this documentary you know it's 24 years old and you still go you still have to go like hey look quarterback tough position really difficult but at 24 years old steven i was still kind of hanging out wearing my backwards baseball cap not really knowing what i was about and here he is he's on camera 24 7 for this documentary yeah winning super bowls making hundreds of millions of dollars yeah i was i was with you you know i was out you know eating that uh you know getting some buffalo wings or something and eating with my friends not worrying about a camera so yeah i'm excited to watch but yeah she is uh she is kind of a nightmare and she is wild and crazy so i i'm excited to see the stuff that she says because she is fascinating with uh the fact that Patrick Mahomes has decided to stay with her i, I still can't believe that <laughs> She's a nightmare. That there's some, uh, there's a little. Obviously, there's some dysfunction with his brother, and you know uh, he's facing uh, criminal charges and and all of that. But um, you know, she's just. A, they've been together since they were like in seventh grade. He can trust her. That's the thing. He can. He can fully. He. You know, she knew him before the money, so yeah. he can. He can trust her. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see how this unfolds for Patrick Mahomes. And in uh, his family, but I'm 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 only like ten minutes into the series, and I unfortunately had to stop it because Anna was falling asleep, and I cannot wait to watch the rest of episode one. But it's really really good. Brings us to our big splash. It's the one thing you need to know. This is the one thing you absolutely need to know today. Look 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 at it. Where down there? The big splash. Well, eight NFL franchises have won back-to-back Super Bowls, but none since the New England Patriots did it in 2003 and 2004. Patrick Mahomes, who we were just talking about, said that the Kansas City Chiefs are focused on ending that streak. They want to win a second title. He said, quote, everybody's motivated by that, and uh, the Chiefs today reported for training camp. They're training at Missouri Western State University. Three-day camp for quarterbacks and rookies tomorrow Full squad practice on Sunday. Patrick Mahomes says, quote, when you have that parade, when you go through the offseason that I've been through, you want to do it again. You only get these opportunities by winning the Super Bowl. And so for us, we want to make sure that we build up and try to win the Super Bowl again because that moment, that feeling is something you just want to grab every single time you get the opportunity to do it, end quote. Chiefs beat the Eagles in February in the Super Bowl. They also beat the 49ers two years earlier, but they failed to repeat because 
Tampa Bay and Tom Brady spoiled the uh, the uh, game that was in the middle there. Uh, Mahomes said that the Chiefs coasted into the playoffs, and you know they had won 14 of 15 games going into that playoff series where they lost to the uh, Buccaneers in the Super Bowl, and uh, Mahomes said that they coasted there. I think you do have to have a little edge, and I think it did help the Chiefs that a lot of people were talking about Josh Allen and the Bills last year. A lot of people were talking about uh, Joe Burrow and the Bengals. And, uh, of course, by the time they got to the Super Bowl, it was a lot of Eagles talk. And, you know, in a weird year where the Chiefs were one of the favorites all along, they didn't feel like the favorite at, at all points of the season. Looked like the Eagles or the Bills or even the Bengals were playing better football. So peaked at the right time, looked great in the Super Bowl, Ankle looked good, said it bothered him in the Super Bowl, but, uh, you know, really uh, really good season, obviously, for the Chiefs as they won it all. Who do you like this year? Who do you like Who do you like to be in the Super Bowl this year? I mean, how can you go against the Chiefs? I went against them last season. They proved me wrong. Patrick Mahomes may be the best leader in all of sports right now, like to lead a franchise, whatever sport it is. Like, he's not going to get in trouble. He, you know, he's great around the microphone, great leader. You know, I think the Bengals, the Bengals probably, Joe Burrow, you got to yeah. look at him as well. Um, They're 10-1. Then, to 1. Yeah, I, 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 I love them. I love the Bengals. I love the Chiefs and the AFC. And then the NFC, it's kind of a crapshoot right now. I mean, I'd have to put the Eagles at first, but I don't feel good about that. Eagles are 7-1. to 1, Niners are 10-1. to 1. Um, I like the uh, – I, I think the Niners have a puncher's chance to get there. They, they need to figure out their quarterback position, though, and need to know that they're healthy. But I do think the Niners – are playing like a franchise right now entering this season that knows that they have a narrow window. Like, they've got a bunch of guys who are lined up, sniffed, sniffed around it. Can they break through? Punch and Audio is coming up. Great sound. Leave it here. Last year I did 34 interviews on uh, Pac-12 Media Day. I'm trying to figure out how many they have me down to do this year. It's too many interviews. Just too many interviews. There's a few that I want to do, but they're also having me, uh, they want me to do some other interviews. Like, I'm not here to do interviews just because it's it's going to not hurt the feelings of a player. You know what I mean by that, Stephen? Like, you know, there's a couple players where they're like, hey, we, you know, Caleb Williams, obviously, quarterback at USC, is going to be in high demand, and I'm going to interview Caleb Williams, but I'm not that interested in interviewing, like, Mason Cobb, the inside linebacker. At USC, I mean, you gotta you gotta earn it, right? Like you gotta you gotta earn that interview. There's 19 interviews they had me scheduled to do before lunch. <laughs> I'm gonna pare that down. That's all? I don't do my contract says I don't do more than 34 interviews. <laughs> That's what I would tell. That, that was the that was the hard line on there. Yeah, I had to draw the line somewhere. 34 interviews. 32 is okay. 34. Eh, I don't know. I read the list yesterday before, like, this is before lunch. Okay, I'm just going to really quickly, I'm just going to try to read this as efficiently as I can. Okay, starting at 8.55 in the morning, going to lunch. Caleb Williams, USC. Arizona quarterback, Jaden Delora. Utah's coach, Kyle Whittingham. Oregon State coach, Jonathan Smith. Oregon State receiver, Anthony Gold. Oregon State defensive back, uh, Keaton Aladapo. Um, Jed Fish, the Arizona head coach. Ron Stone Jr., the Washington State edge rusher. Cam Rising, the Utah quarterback. Cam Ward, the Washington State quarterback. Troy Taylor, the Stanford head coach. USC coach Lincoln Riley. Um, Washington State head coach Jake Dickert. Now, that's who I agreed to interview before lunch. They wanted me to add 
Stanford wide receiver John Humphreys and Stanford linebacker Tristan Sinclair. And Arizona's got a defensive back, Traden Stukes, who's coming, and Utah's got a safety, Cole Bishop. And I said, no, I'm drawing the line. I think Can't you made. I think you made the right choice. Like all those interviews. I mean, that's a lot before lunch. But I will say, like every single one of those is going to be yes. a banger interview. Like you're yeah. gonna, oh. you're going to get great interviews out of all those people. But like to add the other guys on top, I don't know. I need the breaks. I need a moment. You know, can I use the restroom? Can I go get a drink of water? Can you're, I hydrate? Can I get an man. IV? You're only one yeah. man. <laughs> can I get an IV over here? You know, last year too, they put me on a sofa. And by the end of the day, it was looking awfully tempting to just kind of lay back and do the interview. <laughs> you know, I don't want a sofa. We need, I need uh, to be on a stool. We need AI John Canzano to do some of these interviews. <laughs> yes. Can we do that? Here's what's after lunch. Cal head coach Justin Wilcox, Arizona State coach Kenny Dillingham, UCLA coach Chip Kelly. That's the lineup out of lunch. Then it goes um, Shadur Sanders, Colorado quarterback, Jackson Sermon, the Cal linebacker, Colorado's two-way threat, Travis Hunter, Bo Nix, Oregon quarterback, Jeffrey Bassa, the Oregon linebacker, Michael Penix Jr., Washington's QB, uh, Kalen DeBoer, Washington's coach. Then comes Commissioner George Klyovkov, Colorado coach, it says Coach Prime, Deion Sanders, and Arizona coach, uh, excuse me, uh, Oregon head coach Dan Lanning. That's my afternoon. Klyovkov, Coach Prime, and Lanning to finish. Isn't, uh, I mean, I think his name is Coach Prime. When he's a coach, he's Coach Prime. When he was a player, he's Dion or Primetime. So I, I'm down with Coach Prime as his name. Should I make him call, like, because, you know, he, he ended that interview when somebody didn't call him Coach Prime, and I'm not, I, I don't want to die on that hill. Like, <laughs> that's not my thing. Like, I'm not going to be that media member that's going to be like, well, I'm going to call him Dion Sanders. Mr. Dion Sanders. Missed, yeah, like, I'm not going to do that. That's I don't care. It's not important to me. But should I make him call me BFT? Yeah, I think so. No, don't do it. Don't do it because you know, you don't want to make Coach Prime mad. I want to hear what he has to say, John. I no, can't... but should I say, hey, I'm fine calling you Coach Prime, but I'm BFT. I mean, I think he might get the. He might think it's funny. <laughs> I, we'll see. Yeah, risk it. I maybe think I'll wait. ask Anna on that one. Ask Anna. Maybe, she, she's maybe I'll one. wait till the end of the interview and be like, hey, uh, from now on, it's BFT. Okay. Yeah. All right. Uh, all right. Let's play some punch and audio. We got great sound today. We're going to have even better sound on Friday. I hope you're here for it. We interrupt this broadcast with a special announcement from the Bald Fish Truth Headquarters. Hey, we're all about truth, justice, and the American way here, okay? Which is why we've spanned the globe and pulled the top audio cuts of the day. You're going to hear little snippets of sound. Hey, it's time for Punch It Audio. Presented by First Call Heating and Cooling. What's going on with Damian Lillard and the Blazers? Shams Charnia of The Athletic, he's plugged in. He says the trade talk is stagnant. Here's Shams, punch it. It's been stagnant as far as the process there, and it's, it's really up to the Blazers and the Heat. That, the Heat are the team that Damian Lillard wants to go to, and what I'm told Portland has told Miami is this, make your best offer to us. And the sides have spoken recently, but nothing significant has come to it. And when you look at potential packages from Miami to Portland, you look at expiring contracts, perhaps a young player like Nikola Jovic, three to four first-round picks where Tyler Hero would be going to a third team. That third team would send one or two first-round picks to Miami, and they, they would you know add their two first-round picks as well, potentially second-rounders, swaps as well. So for someone with Damian Lillard's contract, four years, over $210 million left on his deal, 
for a rebuilding team like Portland, that's a pretty sound get. But if you think about all those first-round picks, other assets you can get, potentially a young player as well, that's sound value. But so far, Portland has not uh, elected to, to really engage with Miami uh, and, and try to solicit best offers. Look, anybody who's dealt with the Blazers in any business setting, and I have as a media member, understands the Blazers act and have acted in this market. They're a big fish in a small pond. They act like they have all the leverage. All of the vendors who have to deal with Trailblazers, Inc. know what I'm talking about. The Winterhawks know what I'm talking about. The Winterhawks were in a meeting once upon a time with Bert Cold, the vice chairman of the Trailblazers, and they were negotiating their uh, ability to play games inside Moda Center, games inside um, the, the you know Memorial Coliseum, and they're at the mercy of Bert. All right? He's, he's at the controls now. And the, the comment that came from the Winterhawks to Bert Cold in that meeting was, hey, we're having a hard time making more than like a dollar under the deal that you're proposing. And Bert Cold's response to the Winterhawks, I am told, was, that's my job. And that's kind of how he operates. The Miami Heat find themselves in probably a position that they're not used to dealing with. They're looking over here at Burt Cold and the Blazers, who don't know a damn thing about basketball, can barely run a business, and they're trying to make a deal for a player that wants out. And I think what they're going to encounter is they're going to encounter a guy playing poker who is going to demand full value for Damian Lillard. And I think for the Blazers organization, look, as much as, as, much as I may want to hold that up as, like, look at these – you know, these uh, fools that are running the organization, it's actually kind of good if you're a Blazer fan. I think this might be like a silver lining of Bert and Jody being part of the equation. John, did you hear what Sham said, though? He said Damian Lillard still has four years, 200 plus million dollars. 217. Left. 217, two, on, 217. His, on his contract, and that the Blazers should be basically thankful for what the Heat are offering for that contract. And then you listen to Woj talk, and he will say, right. well, it's not even close to what you should get for a value for Damian Lillard. Well, they're who, both puppets. Yeah, I was going to say, who who should we believe in this situation? Are, is it more we're overvaluing Dame here in the you know in Rip City here, thinking that we can get you know four or five first-round picks and be on Woj's side? Is it more like Shams who's saying, no, like this is a good enough package for Dame? Because I could argue that maybe even myself, is overvaluing Dame just a little bit on the open market. Yeah, you you might be, but let's keep in mind, okay, you're getting very different narratives that are spun by Shams and by Woj. Woj is speaking on behalf of the Blazers, clearly. Joe Cronin, Woj, Woj has, you know, made his career, uh, you know, sort of going shoulder to shoulder with agents. It's the lane he lives in. Shams is on the other side of this. He's He's... More, excuse me, Woj's with the general managers. Shams is more with the agents and and Aaron Goodwin and what was right for Dame. And, you know, he's basically advocating now because of that position on behalf of the Miami Heat. So Shams speaking for the Heat and Lillard, Woj speaking for the Blazers. It's a negotiation. And the truth is that the resolution usually is in the middle, but I don't think the Blazers are going to be happy doing a deal that's in the middle. They're not going to make a concession. Lillard's not going to retire. You know, he's going to have to report at the beginning of the season. And I'm looking at the odds right now on DraftKings. You know, he, you know Miami Heat, to, to be the place where Lillard 
suits up in his next regular season minute. The Miami Heat are minus 270. Probably not even worth you wagering on it. The Blazers are next at plus 475. Then comes Boston at 650. The Clippers at 850. The Sixers at, you know, 10 to 1. Brooklyn Nets at 14 to 1. Spurs at 18 to 1. Jazz at 20 to 1. There's your list. Okay, that's the real list of the eight teams that Damian Lillard could start the season with. I actually think there's a greater chance he starts with the Blazers because I just think this stagnant position is going to end with Portland going, Dame, you need to show up, you need to play well, and you need to help us trade you and get more value for you because we're not going to let you free. And at some point, I think the Miami Heat will back off and go, okay, Portland's not willing to deal him now. Dame will make sure that he doesn't get sent to one of those other places because he'll say, I don't want to go there, and those teams likely won't won't trade for him. But this could get really interesting. I mean, because we, the, yeah. Yeah, like I was going to say, we're, we've kind of said that. Like, this could drag into the regular season. And at that point, what does Dame and what do the Blazers do if he has to report to training camp? Like, that's going to play. It's going to get real awkward. Yeah. So I, I'm with you. Like, it is not saying that he won't be traded by July 31st because that's when Jaime Hawkins can officially be traded from the Miami Heat. And I think that could, that's a big part of the deal as well. But he may be in Portland and maybe having to report to training camp when it starts, and that could be a very real uh, sticky situation. I think, uh, like, if I had to bet it today, I think there's a few things. He obviously wants to go to Miami. That's clear. That's been made clear. That's been made public. It's obvious. But I think the Utah Jazz have the best arsenal of potential trade value that the Blazers would be interested in. Will not be surprised to see the Jazz at some point be used for leverage at least, or maybe even become a possible destination. Remember, he went to Weber State. But secondarily, if you asked me right now, what team is Damian Lillard going to play his first regular season minute for? I would bet the Blazers. I think he's going to be in uniform. I think that's... If if I know Burt Cold as well as I think I might, I think he starts in Portland, and the Blazers force him to put on that uniform and walk out there on day one. We'll see if he does it. I don't think you're wrong. I think that's I think that's a good good spot there. JD Pickle on on three sports talking about Bo Nix. Bo Nix and the Oregon Ducks punch it. Number four quarterback for me at the end of November, end of the regular season, it's going to be Bo Nix. And my bet for him, the bet that I'm making is that everything we saw last year with Bo Nix, I believe was real. Because you saw good Bo, you saw bad Bo at Auburn. I think last year's Bo was the real Bo. I mean, over 4,000 total yards, 29 touchdown passes, 14 rushing touchdowns. You know what a season like that does for a guy like Bo Nix, being able to just totally relocate out of his home state, Alabama? You know what that does for him? I think it provides confidence. I think now he's finally comfortable. I think he finally is in his own zone. In his own zone. Confident, comfortable. Pat Casey, the Oregon State baseball coach from yesteryear, used to come on the show and say that, you know, comfort is confidence. Confidence is comfort. I didn't blame Bo Nix for coming back, you know, and he, and he probably got seven figures to do it. But he looked really comfortable last year, up until the point where he got injured, and then he still looked pretty good. I think it's going to be fun to watch him play. I don't know what kind of pro career he has. I don't know if he translates to the next level. He could be Sean Mannion, ultimately. That kind of talent in the NFL. 
Maybe he's a backup. I don't know. But I'm looking at Bo Nix going, this is a guy who's benefited from NIL, who's a really good college quarterback. This is an example of maybe NIL working for a team and working for a player. Great example. But I I think, you know, the the first and second teams came out. Caleb Williams, your first team Pac-12 quarterback. Michael Penix Jr., your second team quarterback. Bo Nix was honorable mention. He's third. He had four votes for people who wanted to put him on the second team. And I think it's a good place for him to exist. He's flying a little bit under the radar, but not really. And everybody who's seen him play knows he is an important player, and he might be as important to Oregon as Caleb Williams is to USC. And we know the upside is if he stays healthy and plays like he did last year, he, he could be in New York going for the Heisman Trophy. Like, that's that's the upside to Bo Nix this season. I felt like he was on that path. And one of the things, too, is, is interesting on media day is Kenny Dillingham's going to be there, the Arizona State coach. I don't think Kenny Dillingham is Arizona State's head coach if Bo Nix wasn't Oregon's quarterback. Like, that's the impact he had. I think he got Kenny Dillingham that job. And, you know, that was a great marriage watching those guys work. And it looked like, you know, they might be headed to a Heisman Trophy before Nix got hurt. Meanwhile, in Georgia, Kirby Smart, the Georgia coach, He's dealing with a rash of speeding incidents and, of course, a fatality involved in one of them. Kirby Smart talking at SEC Media Day. Punch it. Uh, I'm disappointed any time we have traffic incidents. You know, it's it's very evident uh, when you look at it. We've had traffic citations and incidents throughout the history of being at the University of Georgia. Um, And we actually don't have more now than we've had in the past. So what what concerns me most is the safety of our players, all right? And when you drive at high speeds, it's unsafe. And we don't want that to happen. We're going to do all we can to take that out and uh, make sure that's eradicated. But I'm also smart enough, Pat, to understand and know that 18 to 20-year-olds is when this happens. When it happens, when it happened to me as a student athlete, that's when speeding happens. What we want to do is take that out and make it safe and not have high speeds. If somebody's going to get a speeding ticket, it should not be a super speeder. Okay. That is quite a media day rant there from Kirby Smart. He's trying to give the media what he thinks they want to hear. But I think the uh, – to me, I don't know, what did he sound like to you there? Because to me he sounds like a guy who knows that there was an ugly incident that caused loss of life, and he's trying to make it about 18- to 20-year-olds going fast. It's frankly about irresponsibility and the possibility of Georgia being an enabler in that equation. Yeah, it sounds like to me it's it's really a non-answer. Like he didn't he didn't want to touch on anything serious. He just wants to say, you know what, we care and uh, we're aware of it. And now we're on to football. Like that's what it sounded like to me. So I I don't know. I mean, it was a weird answer. And I mean, what is he going to do? He can't control all these Georgia players and driving fast. But at the same time, like there's a lot of evidence that's saying they are like doing different things down at Georgia. So I don't know. I don't know what the right answer would be, John. But I I didn't like his answer. That's what I know for sure. Yeah, I didn't like it either, and I felt him. He was, like, wandering around in the dark looking for some safe ground to be on. Uh, Brent Venables said he gave his players 12-month grace period to figure out what they wanted to do. Remember, he's, he's more or less calling out Coach Prime for running off a bunch of uh, players. But Venables is at Clemson, and uh, he's talked – oh, excuse me, at Oklahoma now. He's formerly at Clemson. And uh, he said he gave his players a grace period. So you talk about a, a culture change and 
you know, a resetting of the standards and what the expectations are. You know, you know, I gave guys 12 months of grace, and I was unlike Dion. I gave guys 12 months of grace to figure it out. Here's the three. You know, go to class, you know, live right off the field, and when you show up over here, man, you show up with respect and appreciation for your opportunity. And if you go 0 for 3 for 12 months, you need a fresh start. So we help 21 guys, you know, give or take, you know, find a, you know, a fresh start. Go get a fresh start. In the end, Coach Prime gave a lot of players fresh starts. Calling out Coach Prime by name, though. Yeah. Big, because they're recruiting against each other. Like, you know, the coaches, they're, they're, they're collegial to a certain extent, but nothing gets them going like recruiting. It's why I think USC, Oregon, Washington, Utah, I think there'll be some bad feelings around Colorado and Coach Prime because they're recruiting against him. And they're recruiting against a personality. And I won't be surprised. It, it happened when he was at Jackson State. There was some barking across the field. You remember that? There's going to be some barking in the Pac-12. Coaches are going to be yelling at each other. I think uh, that comes with competition. I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing. I think the difference between uh, Colorado and Oklahoma is Oklahoma had 11 wins when Brett Venables took over. So, yeah, I want to I yeah. hang on to those guys a little bit longer where Coach Prime said, oh, 1-11, yeah, please get out of them. Yeah, there's program. a difference. You know, he didn't have Caleb Williams to run off, you know, but he almost did. <laughs> and then, you know, meanwhile, uh, let's go to the NFL where Ross Tucker's talking about Saquon Barkley and Josh Jacobs. They're, the running backs are not getting paid in the NFL. Everybody's upset about it, except the teams that are going, why should we pay a running back? Look at what the Chiefs did in the Super Bowl with Jordan Pacheco. Here's Ross Tucker with some advice from Saquon Barkley and Josh Jacobs. Punch Imagine you're Saquon, and the whole offense runs through you, and you can't get a $12 million a year offer, but the other guy who was calling the plays in the huddle to run the offense through you, either a run or a pass to you, gets $40 million a year? I mean, that's tough. The question now, Dan, is what do these guys do? They have to get something more than just playing one year for 10.1, right? So they can't get a long-term deal anymore, but they can get more money on a one-year deal, or they can get a one-year deal that inserts in there a clause that they can't be tagged again. I think these guys need to be willing to skip maybe even games to get those clauses. Look, the NFL teams are playing money ball. Josh Jacobs had 1,600 rushing yards. He, you know, for the Raiders. Saquon Barkley, he accounted for 30% of the New York Giants offense. Had 1,650 yards from scrimmage. And they can't get paid because the teams are going, you play the wrong position your your careers, you know, it will be shortened. You're a running back. The you know the NFL teams have figured out what fantasy football league owners have known for years. It's football value, you know. The, it's not the value of a running back to a team on Sunday. It's the value of a running back in the business. The running backs are are incredibly valuable to these teams. It's tough to win without a good back. So, the problem is. You have Derrick Henry, who is making $12 million, $12.5 million a year as the centerpiece of the Titans offense. By the way, Ryan Tannehill is getting $30 million. So that's the way it is. That's what the market is. Running backs are fighting for what they can get, and they play shorter you know, careers. But try holding out because the market will not lie. 
try doing what you know some NFL players have done in years past. We've seen Pittsburgh Steelers had a, a case of a star running back holding out. Franchise moves on. But the, yeah, but does it if they do hold out? What, like it proved in the past with Le'Veon Bell, he held out. He got a big contract from the Jets, and he was not very good. Not very good. So I don't. So if Josh Jacobs or Saquon Barkley hold out and just don't play, is that another team going to? They're going to learn, and they're not going to give them a big time contract going into the next season. I don't think you hold out. I think you, can't. you have to. Um, I think you gotta. You gotta listen to what the market is saying, and the truth is. That teams have wised up to paying running backs huge contracts, watching them get hurt, you know, eating that contract at the end. They just, it's it's part of the reality of the game. And, you know, there was, there was the system is a little messed up for running backs, but the, it is skewed a little bit. Because I saw this graphic where it was like, you know, kickers are getting paid more than running backs. Well, it was, it, it you know, it was all the running backs in the league. Like, give me just the star running backs. It's a little different story. Saquon Barkley, Josh Jacobs should not be paid the same as kickers. But when you look at, like, the third and fourth string running back on a team, yeah, that guy's making less than a star kicker maybe. But that's the market. That's the market for those kinds of players. Leave it here. You got the BFT. Anna's in the studio. How you doing? What's new? Uh, You know, the heat of summer. Heat of summer. Uh, you watched a little bit of the quarterback series on Netflix last night. Uh, you had about eight or ten good minutes watching that. <laughs> it was you're... late. Yeah, but you were into it. Like, I was. You liked it. What yeah. did you like about it? I like the access. I mean, it's just I love when you can go behind the curtain and see what people's, you know, family lives are like and everything that's happening behind the scenes. And frankly. Just the cold open of the whole piece was so strong. The montage when that they showed at the beginning. When you say cold open, explain that to our listeners. It's just kind of the teaser, the montage that they show right at the beginning to try and hook you in and show you little glimpses, you know, um, of Because back series. in the day, they used to, for every show, there used to be like a, the love boat, and then they would introduce <laughs> the cast, and it would be like, you know, yeah, you know, the people doing like a head Joan Collins is on there and they show her little face and they they basically show you everybody but today in TV right at the top of the hour when the show starts or whenever you start a streaming show boom it's on well it used to be that TV shows and movies put their credits at the beginning remember yeah so you'd have to wait like you'd start a movie it it happens anytime we watch a movie but I know but even more prolonged like every anytime we pop in a movie from like 1990 pre-1990 Disney films are the worst what are these oh they're credits they're at the beginning they put it on at the beginning ain't nobody got time for that now the plane boss remember that (laughs) no fantasy island what are you talking about you nothing this shows how much older I am than you okay (laughs) well you married an older man (laughs) yeah there's a hole in my game there yeah that's that predates me I think do you I, I, I'm going to mention things oh, that no. make you a child of the 70s. Okay. The earlier 70s. Yeah. Without saying you're a child of the earlier 70s. Okay. Here's one of them. <laughs> uh, this is bad. Ralph Furley. Nope. Doesn't ring a bell. Who's that? Chrissy Snow. Nope. Doesn't ring a bell. Nope. Jack Tripper. Yes. Okay, that's the same show. Oh, okay. That's Three's Company. Okay. <laughs> Okay. Wow, I'm impressed that you how about, knew all How about of this? Uh, how about um, rerun? Hey, hey, hey! Uh, 
No. 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 Like I've watched a rerun. Nope. Doesn't ring a bell. How about uh, going well? How about Ralph Mouth? No. Happy Days. Okay. How about? Do you know where Fonzie used to say he'd say in my office? What is he talking about? In my office, and he'd snap his fingers, and everybody. I know Fonzie. Everybody would get up from the table in Happy Days, and where would they go? I don't know. I don't. Stephen, do you know where they would go? Um, maybe he'd say, the bathroom. He'd say in my office, and he'd snap his fingers, and they'd all go into the bathroom. Yeah, bathroom. Bathroom. Yeah, he's so right. I did know it. Yeah. Do you know the spinoff show that spun off of Happy Days? <laughs> no. Joni loves Chachi. Okay. See, this is bad. Yeah. Fantasy Island had uh, Hervé Villachez. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was uh, little people. And he would, uh, that's the, is that the politically correct way to say any, it now? I don't know anymore. He would say, the plane, the plane, and Ricardo Montalban <laughs> would be standing there. Kay. Welcome to Fantasy Island. Well, that strikes a bell. Yeah. You remember that one? That rings a bell, but. That it was, was a great show. Like, these aren't shows that I sat and watched. I how, was, about, uh, uh, how about Eight is Enough? Yeah. No? Yeah. How about The Waltons? No. John Boy? Mm-hmm. No. Night see? John Boy? No. A lot of my listeners right now are nodding with me. Yeah, I know. And going, hey. I get you. Yeah. You and I are in this. The rest of you guys, too young, lost. I bring things up on the show sometimes that remind me that I've been here 17 years, and I'm the only person who's been here 17 years. <laughs> like, because I always think about it as me and the listeners being in it. Yeah. And the listeners are. Like, some of the listeners are diehard listeners. Fist bump to all of you out there that have been listening to this show for, you know, if you've been listening five minutes, I love you. Yeah. I love that you're here. And okay. I'm not into inside jokes like, you know, Jim Rome does all these inside jokes. Yeah. That's why I can't hardly listen to it because yeah. I'm not in on the joke. I know. I don't do that to my listeners. Mm-hmm. But I do sometimes forget that not everybody's been here for 17 years. And so when I go to reference something that has happened, I'll look around and I'll realize Stephen has no idea what I'm talking about. Judah doesn't know what I'm talking about. Alabama Adriana might be listening, but she probably does, still doesn't know what I'm talking about. You're here, and you don't even know the references I'm making to Three's Company and Fantasy Island. Well, I've I've been listening to the radio show for 17 years, but there is a is a big gap in my knowledge of all the TV shows and culture that preceded me. Yes. What cartoon was on TV when you came home from school as a kid? Um, I. Yeah, I. Yeah, you don't know. I. You have no idea. I watched. I didn't watch a lot of cartoons, honestly. Like I watched cartoons when I was five, I guess. But I was more into like the sitcoms. Kind of a shot right there. That like, was kind of a. Uh, that was kind of a uh, underhanded shot. It wasn't a shot. Uh, I watched cartoons when I was five. No, I mean so I loved. I. I loved Bugs okay. Bunny and Looney Tunes. I mean, honestly, but you didn't come home. That's from what school. I watched on Saturday mornings. Flip on the. I TV. didn't even get to watch TV after school. First of all. Yeah. Well, that's I the problem. To, I had to do You're my, playing the violin. What had, were you doing? I had, to play my, I had to do my Chinese <laughs> homework and then clean a motel room. So, um, <laughs> sounds like a blast. Yeah, uh, my parents ran a motel. For those of you who just joined the show five minutes ago, yeah, thank you for not making that an inside <laughs> joke. Yeah, um, but no, I watched like Small Wonder. I watched. I have uh, no idea what that is. 
What? I don't know what small wonder is. She was that little girl that was like a robot. It sounds like something I would totally She's be into. She's a small but yet I'm not. wonder. <laughs> that mean, was a great show. Uh, yeah. I missed, I was too old for teen, <laughs> Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, but I'm going to yeah. guess that Steven was in that wheelhouse. Yep. Mm-hmm. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, uh, G.I. Joe's, those yeah. kind of things. Yeah. yeah. And you were watching He-Man? No. No. Yeah, you were. He was watching no. He-Man. No. He-Man totally. sort of. Skeletor. <laughs> you know all that. He, he means in between you and me. You yeah. have to remember, Stephen's younger than okay. both of us. Here's what was on TV when I got home. <laughs> okay, well, okay. it was all the Hanna Barbera cartoons. They were there, and then it was it was Scooby Doo. It was Scooby Doo. Scooby Doo was kind of the meat and potatoes of the afternoon programming. Okay, once I got home from school. Yeah, and there was a certain lineup of shows that were just every day. You could count on them being there. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't have that anymore. These kids. Today. Was the TV always on in your house? No, it wasn't. No, okay. wasn't always on. But I also enjoyed some Rocky and Bullwinkle, and people don't seem to appreciate that anymore. <laughs> Boris, <laughs> Natasha. I don't know that it's held you know? up well over time. You know, it hasn't held up. <laughs> most most shows. If you go back and watch, gosh, on the plane ride home recently, I uh, from New York. I I, I had a. Like a moment to myself. It's like, oh, wow, when do I ever get to watch a show? Because I was watching the kids. I just want to watch. And by watching the kids, you mean, okay, fine, you were watching the kids. But I decided to go back and watch 16 Candles and Pretty and Pink. Great movies. I did a Molly Ringwald double feature for myself. And I got to tell you, some of the themes in those movies, I was like, ooh, that's. uh, that's..." What what do you mean? Oh, you like. When the uh, the Asian kid shows up and there's a gong every long, time long he, duck dong long duck dong there's a gong <laughs> every time he every time he makes an appearance it made me go research it later I was like was that all planned and he said he didn't he didn't really know that that was part of they the didn't thing. realize that was kind of an ad hoc how offensive that was <laughs> twenty years later thirty <laughs> years later whatever it's been yeah. And uh, what else? Uh, there, there are some other themes on that movie, as I remember it, that are kind of creepy. Oh, you yeah. Know? There's some creepiness to it. Oh, yeah. I mean, you mean like the rapiness of yeah. it? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I can't remember now whether Jake it was- Jake Ryan. Jake Ryan had was the guy who had the girlfriend. Yeah. He basically he... sent the prom queen home with, with the geek. With Anthony uh, Michael, Michael Hall. Hall. Yeah. And said, she's passed out. You can do whatever you want with her. And I was like, yeah, oh. Yeah, it doesn't hold up. Ooh, yeah. Nope, that doesn't, doesn't hold that up. That doesn't work um, these days. You know, what else, What other movies, what were the Rite of Passage movies for you growing up? Because, Stephen, were you in kind of the American Pie era? Yeah, yeah, I remember American Pie came out. I mean, that was like uh, late 90s. I was like 12 or 13. I remember we, me and my brother watched it, and we kind of like snuck it you know, away from the parents yeah. so they didn't know about it. For me, it was Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Mm. And it was uh, Phoebe Cates getting out of the pool. <laughs> You know, yeah. Everybody trying to like, when that movie was on HBO or getting it on a VHS tape, trying to stop it as she's getting out of the pool. And now you look back. <laughs> I think it's been like thirty or forty years. Yeah, maybe fifty years. I don't know. It's been a long enough time. You look back. It's not that racy. She's just in a normal bathing suit. But it seemed like it was. We had never seen anything like it. You know. As a 12-year-old, you know, whatever uh, we were at that age. Yeah. Breakfast Club? Is that... Pro- oh, Breakfast Club's yeah. great. Dead Poet Society? I think Breakfast Club in that... That's a John Hughes movie, yeah. as I remember. Yes. Bre- I think Breakfast Club probably holds up. Yeah. You know? It's the jock, <laughs> it's the stoner, it's the, you know, it's the 
She was the preppy. You know, that was a good movie. Yeah. You know, and they are all in there with that that uh, Saturday school teacher who just everybody knows that teacher <laughs> just takes themselves a little too seriously. <laughs> you know, when I was teaching right out of uh, high school, they put me in charge of Saturday school once. Really? Once. It was kind of a bad gig. Why? Because nobody wanted to work on a Saturday. And so one teacher had to work the Saturday. Mm, so shift. they didn't want to be there either. No. And I didn't want to be there. And they said, hey, we need you to pick up a Saturday school shift. You get paid for it, whatever. Can't remember what, what I was getting paid. But it wasn't enough. Yeah. Because I got in there and I very quickly assessed. I looked around the room. And granted, I was 25. You know, I looked around the room and a bunch of 15, 16 year old kids. And I said, uh, Gil, let's go around the room. Tell me why you're in here. <laughs> You know, I was late. Oh, I was talking. Oh, I was, you know, it wasn't like, this, these were not serious offenses. Yeah. And uh, I undermined the whole, I undermined the whole system. How? Because I said, okay, uh, it it was probably 8 o'clock in the morning that we were there. I said, we're going to do till about 9.30 and then we're going for donuts. <laughs> and then uh, I. You, you took them off campus? Took them off campus, down the street on a walk, uh -huh. everybody. We went down for donuts and coffee or whatever. And then on the way back, I said, you know what? That's good enough. And I set them loose. So, and, and I just cut them all loose. Well, no wonder you only had to do it once. I only did it once. You got out of that. The kids were like, really? Yeah. I was like, just, you know, if anybody asks, you stayed till noon. So, <laughs> so let them go. I wasn't Classic. that guy. Nobody had to crawl through, like, the ceiling panels. Nobody was Jimmy rigging the door. Nobody was, you know, there was no arguments between people. There was no fake outrage from the teacher. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, those were Rite of Passage movies. They're good stuff. All right, coming up, we're going to talk some sports, I promise. Leave it here. You got the BFT. I have two stories I want to talk about in this segment. Anna, you're going to decide which one we talk first. Uh, let's say we're sitting down for coffee, and I say to you, uh, you know, a woman visiting Yellowstone ended up gored by a bison. Or I say, hey, Charles Barkley wants to buy you a Bud Light. Which story do you want to start with? Oh, come on. Barkley and Bud Light. Let's start with Bud Light. Three months ago, Bud Light was featured in a social media promotion by a transgender influencer beer company still dealing with uh, the strong response to its campaign. They're facing a boycott from conservative commentators, celebrities, sales have plummeted, two marketing executives have gone on leave, criticism... Uh, it comes as, uh, you know, people are fired up about the issue. Charles Barkley has joined the fray. He has uh, joined the conversation. He is going after uh, people who are uh, criticizing Bud Light. Profanity-filled rant over the weekend while he was in Lake Tahoe, California, where he competes in that celebrity golf tournament. By the way, I walked that course with Charles Barkley one year, years oh. and years and years and years and years ago. It was around 20-something years ago when he played in that thing. Yeah. He spends that weekend drinking and gambling <laughs> and playing a little bit of bad golf. He shot like 117 <laughs> the day that I followed him. Not but, about the golf for him. But he announced, I'm going to buy some drinks for you all, and I'm going to buy Bud Light. Let me tell you something. All you rednecks or bleep who don't want to drink Bud Light, bleep y'all. Hey, you all can't cancel me. And then there was a mixture of cheers and boos. Um, Charles Barkley basically um, coming out and uh, and leading the charge for Bud Light. What do you make of that? He wants uh, to get involved in it. It, it. it seems like he's in a new space here. 
Yeah. This is not where Charles likes to operate. Yeah, it's surprising to me. Um, Not that he's outspoken about something, but it makes me wonder, does he have a deal with Bud Light? Kind of makes me wonder what he's doing. I don't know. I don't know what he's doing. Yeah, I don't don't mean to be a cynic like that, but, you know, like to put himself out there like that. He's saying, you can't cancel me in Mm -hmm. uh, the... in the video that went out, and he had that pretty strong message for people who are boycotting Bud Light. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Secondarily, woman in Yellowstone National Park did what you're not supposed to do in Yellowstone National Park. She got too close to a bison. Apparently, um, a 47-year-old tourist from Phoenix was walking with another person on the north shore of Lake Yellowstone when they saw two bison. Uh, they before they could walk away, one of the bison charged at them. Woman sustained significant injuries to her chest and abdomen, transported by helicopter. Um, unknown how close they were to the bison when it charged, but how many times have you seen a video on TikTok or whatnot of some Yahoo tourist in Yellowstone Park trying to get a selfie with a bison? And getting too close, uncomfortably close. Yeah, I mean, we don't know that that's necessarily what happened in this case. I mean, I think the information from Yellowstone is that um, this does happen. There were a couple of incidents like this last year. And by the way, it's mating season right now Yep. for anyone visiting Yellowstone, mid-July to mid-August. So bison can get agitated more quickly during mating season. The males are 2,000 pounds. They can run 35 miles an hour. They, when we see a bison in the prairie, it's, it's grazing on grass. But, um, um, you know, unless you're a grizzly bear, you should not be coming close to a bison. You shouldn't. You should proceed with caution. Keep your distance. You should be, the park regulations require that you stay 25 yards away. How does a 47-year-old woman end up gored? She didn't follow the rules. Well, we don't know that, she, though. She got what she deserved. She was oh, not, my gosh. She was too close to the bison. <laughs> too close. Do you know that? Does it say that? Well, if she's getting gored by it, she's obviously not following the 25-yard rule. <laughs> you know? <laughs> I'm not saying as she's getting helicoptered out that I would be lecturing her. But I'm just looking at her and I'm going, this is not surprising. I've watched a bunch of videos, and people are, you know, attacked. Apparently, two women in two days, a Minnesota woman, was attacked as well. woman in Phoenix got gored. A woman from Minnesota got hurt in the park as uh, Bison charged at her as well. Separate incidents, same week. Two women. I Ladies, ho- stay away from the Bison. I hope they're all okay. I'm not ready to just issue blame because I think it's easy to do that. I think it's easy if you're walking through there, like on a trail, and then all of a sudden mm. you turn and you see a bison, you know, you back away. But You know what I don't need? What? Okay. So Yellowstone Park says visitors should stay 25 yards away from large animals. In you know general. what I don't need? I don't need that warning. If I see a large animal, if I see a grizzly bear, if I see a coyote, if I see a moose, if I see a deer, if I see a bighorn sheep, I'm not coming within 25 yards because you know what? I can't beat that animal in hand-to-hoof combat. I can't. I know that. I grew up a little rural. I understand, like, even a 1,200-pound steer, 
I'm at a disadvantage with well, it, that animal. It goes back that to, animal, yeah. It goes back to the water situation. Like you're on their territory. Yes. Like get out of there. Of course they're gonna beat you on their territory. Bison? Bison versus me? No, thank you. <laughs> I'm looking at the Yellowstone National Park rules. Okay. Visitors should stay at least twenty five yards away from bison, elk, deer, coyotes. You should stay a hundred yards away from a bear or a wolf. I, I got news for you. I'm not even within 100 yards of a bear or a wolf. 100 miles. I see, a, I see a bear. I get out of the car. We're at Yellowstone, okay? I see a grizzly bear. <laughs> Guess what that grizzly bear sees? He sees me going the other way. We've gone to Yellowstone. We've seen bison. How close do you think we got? I never got out of the car. We were in a car. Yeah, I never we got out of the car. We weren't on a trail. I feel safer in the car. <laughs> Did you see me climbing out of the car and like going, oh, this is for the gram? No. Didn't we had a bison cross right in front of in us? In the car. I know. In the, I'm not out of the car going, let me get a selfie <laughs> with this thing. I find it interesting. I'm not trying to make this a gender thing, but why aren't men getting gored? You know why? Because the dudes are going, I don't need this for the gram. I don't need to be this close. Oh I'd be really curious gosh. to see if she got the picture. Wide as she's getting, generalization. As the 47-year-old is getting gored, did she get it on her story? I don't know. I hope, John. you know, maybe she would go, oh, it was worth it. Oh I don't know. <laughs> you don't know anything about the circumstances. <laughs> oh, I know she was uh, within 25 yards if she got gored. <laughs> You don't get gored if you're, they can't gore you from 26 yards away. 26, okay. that one yard cannot, makes all the difference. That bison can go 35 miles an hour, okay? Yeah. I don't know. She's from Phoenix. Maybe she's a cougar. I don't know. Oh, Maybe she can gosh. run too. I don't know. You're terrible. Uh, you are terrible. Not, but I'm not wrong. <laughs> I'm not wrong. Last time a man got gored in Yellowstone. Look, Google that. <sighs> Stephen can do it. I don't, I don't have know the energy. I don't know. It makes me want to go watch Kevin Costner movies. You know, remember when he was uh, he was uh, out on the prairie with the buffaloes in that movie. You know, Costner's. I'm surprised this hasn't come up on our show. How so? What? Costner's in a really bitter kind of divorce situation. Oh, really? Yeah, oh. and he had a prenuptial agreement. Okay. With his wife of I think it was 11 years. Okay. Um, going off memory. I read it on the plane. Yeah. Um, so he's accusing her of premeditating the divorce. Oh. Because as part of their prenup, she got to keep the car mm -hmm. if, if they were divorced. Yeah. And she ran out and bought a really expensive car right before she filed for divorce. <laughs> so he's accusing her of that. Well, and I'm that going, just you sounds know like strategy. This sounds like, uh, he, you know, who gets the Yellowstone Ranch? That's what I want to know. Man, man gored by bison at Yellowstone National Park, June 29th, 2022. Mm. That seems like last time. Just last year, Just John. last year. Okay. Two ladies. Yeah. Gored Two since. ladies gored is not a trend. I don't know. There wasn't a second man gored a week later, I'll tell you that. The rest of us went, you know what? Not good. Not a good thing. Leave it here. You got the bald-faced truth. You want to win some Mariners tickets? We're going to give away Mariners tickets coming up in the next segment. Find out how. If you want to read me, you read me exclusively now at johnconzano.com. If you want sourced, in-depth reporting and writing, you want to know what's going on with the Ducks, the Beavers, the Blazers, the Timbers, the Winter Hawks, the Pac-12 Conference, you want to laugh? You want to cry occasionally? I'll tell a human interest story now and then. You want to know what's going on? Read me there, johnconzano.com. That's where you find me. Appreciate everybody that listens to this show, reads me as well. 
Anna's in the studio. We're going to give away some Mariners tickets, two pairs of Mariners tickets. If you listen to yesterday's 5 at 5, you are uniquely qualified to possibly win the Mariners tickets. How? Well, because you have listened and paid attention on yesterday's show, you're going to know the answer to the question that we're going to throw out to you. So I will give the question coming up. Whoever answers the question correctly about yesterday's 5 at 5 is going to win a pair of tickets to two Mariners games. Two pair. That's four tickets. Two different games. Should I do that now? Should I ask the question now and have them line up, Stephen? Or should we do the 5 at 5 for today? Then I ask the question about yesterday's 5 at 5. I think you ask the question now, let them line up, let them think about it. Okay. I think that's the right right call. The question... I'm going to say it, Anna, because sometimes when I tell you to ask the question, you give away the answer. Mm-hmm. Kay? Yeah, I'm not good at this. This is like... Uh, oh, that was kind of a shot there. Jeez. No, I, I, he's right, though. you got to know your weaknesses. Yeah, I'm, I fully admit it. Right. If, I would bake a terrible game show host. If this is the worst thing that you could say about Anna, <laughs> then not. take the win. I, I had your back on that one, Anna. Sorry. Thank yeah, you. Yeah. Take the win. <laughs> but Anna's good at a lot of things. She's great. She's brilliant. She's smarter than me. You know, don't tell her that. But game show host, nope. Uh-uh. Lousy. She Can't would, structure the question. She would give it away. Or, uh, all right, here's the, here's the question that we're asking. If you want to win two pairs of Mariners tickets, line up now. Here's the question. On yesterday's show, in the 5 at 5, Anna said, I sure wish our daughters played what sport? That's it. Simple question. She uttered that. As part of the five at five. Five oh three four one seven seventy five seventy five. What sport does Anna wish that our daughters played? Steven, let's do the five at five for today. The five at five. Anna's number one story as she sees it is Colorado football coach Deion Sanders. You're gonna have a heck of a time with him at Media Day. Yep, coach. Things Brian. are heating up. He's faced criticism from fellow coaches and some media members uh, ever since he took over uh, with the Buffaloes. And By today, the way, stay far from those Buffaloes. Oh, 25 yards. Bison yeah. or Buffalo? Go ahead. Today. The different. I interrupted. Today? <laughs> today. Uh, he's, he's taken to Twitter. He's saying... Please read this slowly. I've never responded to any of these great coaches that choose to target me or our program here. (laughs) I'm great at walking and talking the talk. And if it were truly me, I would have referenced a Lamborghini. Now, that has to do with an apparent fake quote that was making its way around the Internet in which Sanders was said to have been described, was said to have described Brent Venables as having been handed a Ferrari, and then crashed it at Oklahoma. Oh, here's Brett Venables taking a shot at Coach Prime. So you talk about a, a culture change and, you know, a resetting of the standards and what the expectations are. You know, you know, I gave guys 12 months of grace, and I was unlike Dion. I gave guys 12 months of grace to figure it out. Here's the three. You know, go to class, you know, live right off the field, and you show up over here, man, you show up with respect and appreciation for your opportunity. And if you go over three for twelve months, you need a fresh start. So we help twenty-one guys, you know, give or take, you know, find a, you know, a fresh start. 
So remember, back in the spring, Pittsburgh head football coach Pat Narduzzi oh, also yeah. voiced criticism of Sanders. And, you know, so far Sanders has kept quiet about a lot of it, um, just trying to focus on what he's doing there at Colorado. But he finally had had enough, apparently. Yeah, he's had enough, and he's coming to media day. Coach Prime is what he wants to be called. Should I make him call me BFT? Or should I tell him, my name's Ruth, but it's pronounced with a T at the beginning? What? Truth. Oh. <laughs> I thought you were, I thought you meant Tooth. <laughs> Why did I call you? <laughs> what if he said that? Okay, Tooth. <laughs> okay, Tooth. Do you think I should make him call me BFT? No. No. Coach Prime. Just, that's cool. I'll call you Coach Prime, but I'm BFT. You, or You don't need two I'm people truth. in the com- in the conversation. What if he calls me Truth, though? Requiring. That'd be kind of cool if he saw me in the news conference, like when Colorado plays Oregon. He's like, hey, Truth. Okay. All right. Go ahead. Did you have a thought about what he's doing? He's punching back. He's had enough. It's media day. He's going to get asked. He's he's going to have the entire platform in the entire city of Vegas at his disposal on Friday. He is the star of the Pac-12 show. It doesn't matter what these other coaches are saying. Ultimately, he'll be judged on whether or not he can win games. I think they're going 3 and 9 though. 3 and 9? Yeah. Steven thinks that they're going to win like 9 games, but wow, there's I say a big difference nine. between you and Steven. Steven says they're going all the way. Pac-12 titles. Well, you're no. No, he's saying no. four or five. I say three. Okay. I could see four, but so you're not that far apart. I'm saying three. He's saying four. Okay. We're, you're actually. We, gotta, we have no. a huge gap. Huge gap between us. Speaking of inside jokes, he says, Jeez. "You know what? I uh, I think the T-bone is a better steak." I said the porterhouse. <laughs> That's a huge fight we're having right now. Okay. N- number two story as you see it. Oh. It's a bison, uh, it's a buffalo. Yeah, yeah. Um, I love this story because I think it's really creative marketing. Okay. Boise State football uh, taking on uh, an idea to draw fans in that they've done before. They're going back to it because it seemed to work the other time. Okay. Boise State uh, is introducing a new win, you we win, you win ticket promotion. Um, so they've done this in some for- form, but now... Fans that purchase a $125 limited edition ticket Mm -hmm. to Boise State's home opener against Central Florida can earn a complimentary ticket to its next home game against North Dakota, but only if Boise State wins that home opener. Okay. And whoever attends the next game with a complimentary ticket will receive another one if Boise State is victorious again. So that our athletic director is saying, Bronco Nation, it's your opportunity to attend all six home games for $125. Basically, we win, you win. Isn't wow. that brilliant? It is. And they're going to get people in the stadium, and they're going to get um, they're going to get people there. And it's, it's good. And, and especially coming off last year, Andy Avalos had a tough time last year, and it looked like... He was going to be in trouble, and they kind of turned it around. But Blue Turf, you know, Bronco Nation, you know, their athletic director, Jeremiah Dickey, he's uh, he's interesting. I find him, you know, he's got some good ideas. Yeah. And, you know, he reached out to me last time uh, during the Pac-12 basketball tournament. The uh, 
Mountain West Conference was holding their tournament. He happened to be in town. He reached out to me and said, hey, could we get a coffee? It didn't work out, okay? Yeah. That's, I don't know the guy, yeah. okay? He just wanted to talk. Yeah. I find that interesting that he's trying to network, yeah. right? So he reached out the other day. He said, hey, you've got your media day. Our media day is happening at the same time. We're going to be in Vegas. There's like a two-hour window where we could, we could meet somewhere and just chat. Like, you know, they're not trying to get into the Pac-12. He's just networking. He's using every minute of his day to network. Doesn't surprise me that he has good ideas. And I haven't met the guy. Hmm. I haven't met him. Uh, I, I'm correcting myself here. They actually haven't done this. This is a brand new thing that they're okay. doing. And it's just watch. Every, other people are going to copy it. Yeah, it's a good it's idea. It's a great idea. It's a good idea if you have the tickets, you know. Well, yeah. And they have a limited window in which to purchase the tickets. Like yeah. you only have, they have six the games. You can go to all six games for 125 bucks. If they continue to win, right? So if you go to the first one and they win the first one, you get a, a complimentary ticket to the next one and so but on. But you and pay so 125 bucks yes. for the season yes. opener. Yes. So they're getting $125 from you. Yes. And if they win, you get another ticket. Yes. But they get people in those seats provided that they continue to win. If they continue to win, everybody's there. And look, let's look at their schedule. They would be, like, if they win the home opener... They could run the table. Like they're fa they would be favored against North Dakota, probably favored against San Jose State, Wyoming, New Mexico, and Air Force. Yeah, every game. Number three story is Anna sees it is. Uh, this one is awful. So uh, an equestrian, Richard Fellers, 63 years old. You may recognize his name. He lives around here. He's a former Olympian who has worked as an elite equestrian coach. Well, he's pleaded guilty to sex abuse, and he will be serving time in a federal prison. His victim was just 14 years old when she began training with him at his facility in Tualatin. Mm. And she was living on her own up here while her family remained in California. Now, according to the Washington County DA's office, which prosecuted this case when she was 16, he told her he loved her, coerced her into a sexual relationship, he abused her multiple times in Oregon and in other states while traveling for equestrian competitions. And that's where the federal charges came in because he actually committed these uh, crimes uh, across state lines. So he will be serving four years in federal detention as a result of this uh, prosecution. What, what's your first thought when you see that? Um, I, 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 I'm... Well, I'm disgusted and I'm angry about it because he, you know, this guy is, I guess, very well known yeah, in our area. Like, and he was like an Olympic, uh, yeah. like caliber equestrian coach. Yeah. He, helped, he was the Olympic coach. Well, yeah. And he, he helped the team win gold in Beijing. Like he's very notable. A lot of people know who he is around here. And I just, it just, it just disgusts me. And I, I'm so saddened for this girl that now yeah. has to heal from this. It's bad on a number of levels it's also um as a parent uh with daughters it's just uh, you know i i just know too that i felt com more comfortable when i was involved in a round when there were interactions between even our oldest daughter and coaches mm -hmm. just for everybody's sake yeah better for me to be at practice better for me to be around and see how coaches are interacting mm-hmm and I'm not blaming anybody's parents. It's probably harder in equestrian for a parent to be in the ring around what's going on. But Well, they obviously believed in him. Yeah. You know, it's... and his his track. But record. she moved out 
to an apartment of her own at 15 to be near his barn and training center. Yeah. Huge red flag. Okay? Yeah. Huge. I'm not blaming anybody. I'm just saying red flag. Yeah. Okay. Number four story. Uh, I want to know what you think about this. Um, the SEC is outlining its plan to handle disciplinary action for teams and players that use the horns down gesture when Texas joins the conference next year. Now, this is a sign that's supposed to annoy Longhorns and their fans who have used the hook'em horns gesture since the 1950s. And uh, <laughs> so the guy with the SEC is saying that they have to ask, is the horns down gesture taunting an opponent? Is it making a travesty of the game? Yeah. Is it otherwise compromising our ability to manage the game? And from there, the decisions will be made by officials whether to, you know, how to determine the extent of punishment. I don't games. get it. I don't understand why this is such a bad thing because if horns down is seen as a gesture that it's aimed at Texas's hook'em horns sign, which is the most iconic sign in college football, the you know, it, are we officially recognizing that the the taunt to the taunt? is worth penalizing you know like yeah. what's what are we doing here what's wrong with horns down what's wrong with hook'em horns they're kids why should that be a penalty unsportsmanlike conduct but but is it i don't know west west apparently it's been penalized but by the way nick saban was not even aware of the horns down gesture. He was asked about it. He had no idea what they were talking about. Yeah, but he was angry about it when some of his players did it. Yeah, but he had to be told what it was. After they, they you know, won against Texas. Yeah, he didn't know. <laughs> so basically, hook them horns here, uh, horns down here. Yeah, right. It's not like the middle finger or anything, is it? Well, that's what they're kind if of If I do it in traffic it to. to somebody, you know, <laughs> horns down. It seems weird. It seems weird that they would, you know, have a discussion By the way, about this. The, the hook'em horns thing yeah. originated in 1955 mm -hmm. when uh, the sign, which resembles a Texas longhorn steer, um, horns down was originated in 1955 is by, a, by a Texas student named Henry Pitts. Henry Pitts probably maybe rolling over in his grave. <laughs> I don't know. Or on his walker. But I, I, I don't get it. The rivals, let them do it. This is a story that's media day only story. Not really a story. This is not something we should be all, all consuming our brain bandwidth with, Anna. We didn't have to consume our brain I'm just bandwidth. Saying, it I'm, was just one out of the five items <laughs> at the five at five. I'm giving it horns down. <laughs> number, number five story, finally. Love it or hate it, pickleball is taking over. Tennis legends... Uh, Maria Sharapova and John McEnroe will take on Steffi Graf and Andre Agassi mm. in the second rendition of Pickleball Slam set to air in February of next year. Uh, if you missed the first one, that was back in April. Agassi teamed up with Andy Roddick. They beat McEnroe and Michael Chang. But uh, yeah, get ready for this. They are transitioning to pickleball. These four competitors hold a total of 42 Grand Slam titles between them. That's cool. I also think if you are listening and you're going, what's pickleball? I would like to say I'm really happy you're out of your coma. Don't do that. <laughs> I, this, is, this is fine. 
But this belongs on ESPN 8, The Ocho. Remember the movie Dodgeball? ESPN 8, The Ocho. (laughs) This pickleball tournament with legends. I want to remember John McEnroe and Steffi Graf and, you know, even Martina Navratilova and Chris Everett Lloyd. I want to remember them as great tennis players, not necessarily playing glorified ping pong on a Reduced size tennis court. Are you taking issue that this was number five? No. You taking issue with four and I, five of I five just, and five? I'm cool with it as long as when I'm done watching it, I still remember John McEnroe as John McEnroe. I don't I'm hoping he resembles somewhat of the great champion. Maybe he'll chuck a pickleball paddle across the net. Are you kidding me? Are you serious? <laughs> he was a competitor. Yeah, he was. Love John McEnroe. Love to see him, uh, you know. Here's McEnroe. Power in this game. You're never working on a court again. You understand me? You're pathetic. You know that? You are the worst umpire that I've ever seen in my life. You're never going to work another match if I've John McEnroe. That guy's going to play pickleball. Okay. I'll, I'll watch just to see if there's any kind of controversy on the pickleball court. That's the 5 at 5. And a thank you for... For doing the five at five. Now we have full phone lines of people who are lined up trying to win two pairs of tickets to see the Mariners. Now we're going to start with a caller who believes he has the answer to the question we asked. Anna on yesterday's five at five said, I wish our girls played. What sport did she say she wished our girls would pick up? Everett is in Happy Valley. Everett, welcome to the program. Everett, were you listening yesterday during the 5 at 5? No, but I'm channeling my inner intuition. Okay. Not (laughs) listening, but going to take a stab in the dark. What sport? What sport did Anna say, I wish our girls picked this up? Well, knowing Anna, and she has a pedigree golfer in the family, Mm. I'm going to say golf. Final answer. Going with golf. Is he right? Ah! He's not not right. Very uh, demonstrative, but not right. I appreciate Everett. You got to pay attention on Mondays. It is not golf. You love the confidence, though, just to call in without listening. Uh, It's astounding to me the number of people who call in who just are like, hey, let me throw a dart and see if it lands. But you know what? That's kind of like me. I like it. That's like me in seventh grade when I'd show up for a math test. (laughs) And they'd be like, have you studied? No. (laughs) I got this. I'm feeling pretty good, though. That's a pretty educated guess, though. All right. uh, Where should we go next? Let's Let's go to Ryan in Vancouver. Ryan, were you listening yesterday during the five at five? Uh, yeah, I was listening. Okay. Sound pretty confident. Let's <laughs> not. I'm, I'm going to say flag football. <gasps> he says flag football. Let's go to the judges. That is correct. You were listening. Congratulations. It go. pays to listen. Membership has its privileges, Ryan. Yes, sir. Who are you going to take with you to two Mariners games? Uh, depends on when they are. Okay. That's a good answer. I got my kid or, uh, or uh, well, either one of my kids. There you go. Take your kids. Good event. Ryan, I'm going to put you on hold. Next voice you hear will be the ticket master who will uh, take care of getting you those tickets. Thank you to everybody who listens to the 5 at 5. Listen to the 5 at 5 because you could end up at a Mariners game 
as well this season. Anna, thank you for, you know, isn't it cool that somebody was listening? I know. It, it's, every time I'm like, wow, somebody's listening. Well, I didn't, I don't, I didn't mind the <laughs> shot in the dark the last guy took. Although Ryan didn't sound as confident that no. he listened. I know. Did you listen? Uh, yeah. 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 I think he was afraid because it was going to be, you're a bad listener if he got it wrong. Mm. <laughs> you know, I was listening and I still got it wrong. There was a chance there. But nope, he got it. He answered pretty succinctly. People like, are just brave for calling in anyway. Well, you know, you got to have a layer of thick skin to call in and take I, it. I love our callers. And, I and you know, look, I hear other people, other shows go, why do you take calls? Calls are dumb. You know, and I, no. Callers are not dumb. Callers add something to the show. Ryan and Everett both added something to that segment. Leave it here. You got the BFT. Appreciate everybody who makes this radio show part of your day. We try to have fun. I try not to take this, take any of this too seriously, even though you know there's some serious stuff that's wrapped up in it. I think that's probably one of the things I've learned in 17 years of doing this show is that um, I figured out pretty quickly that this show should not feel like the rest of your life. Like, but if the rest of your life is a lot of smiles and it's easygoing and enjoyable and easy to, uh, you know, if things are just sort of chill in your in your ecosystem, maybe it is like the rest of your life. But I I need the show on one hand to be somewhere you can go to find out what's going on. Like I was in a Costco one time and had one of those cashiers. The Costco, there's nothing cooler than a Costco cashier by the way back in the day when they didn't scan things when the cashier knew the numbers you know what i'm talking about they would see a cantaloupe and they'd go 21074 and they'd see an air mattress and they'd go oh 16032 and they knew the numbers and they would just i don't know if they really knew them or they were just making it up but they would just kind of go through now they scan everything but the costco cashier turned to me this was a couple years ago and said hey i listened to your show and i said thank you and he said and I especially go to your show when something's happening and I want to know what it means and what's going on. There's no greater compliment. If, if you're reading me at johnconzano.com or you're coming to the show and you're going, I'm coming here because I want to know what the heck's happening. And I want to know what to think about it or what you think about it. Great. That's, that's a mission accomplished for us. But simultaneously, this show should not feel like you feel when you're doing your taxes. It should not feel like your relationship with maybe a bad boss or a coworker. It should not feel like the feeling you get when you have company coming into town, you have 14 things to do and only enough time to get four of them done. Shouldn't have that feel to it. If it does, that means I'm failing you. We should not be here on air telling you, oh, we're so tired. Oh, it's so hard. Oh, I've told interns and production assistants over the years, I don't care how hard it is. I don't care how fatigued you are. Nobody wants to tune in and hear that crap. What they want to do is they want to tune in and they want to escape for a little bit. We are your escape. We are your chance where maybe to go somewhere where you don't have to be in charge. You don't have to break a sweat. And this can be easy. This should be an easy relationship that you're in. Now, you may be in an abusive and difficult relationship with your NBA team. The Blazers are difficult sometimes. Often they've been difficult in the last 20 years. They've, that's been a hard team, I think, for Blazer fans to be fans of. But if we can take it in some form or fashion on the show, tell you what's going on, 
and make it kind of enjoyable to talk about it, great. We win, you win. Same with the Ducks. Look, um, it's it's the expectations have been raised by Oregon. Some of it is Phil Knight's investment in the in the program. Some of it is Justin Herbert's success and Marcus Mariota's success. Certainly, when Chip Kelly was going to the BCS national championship game and going to BCS title games and in bowl games with regularity, it was uh, it seemed like the expectations might have come off the rails a little bit at Oregon. But if we can take a season in which a first-year coach, Dan Lanning, wins 10 games, and the fan base is going, I don't know what's wrong with this. I don't know what's – and we can make it, hey, good analysis. What can they do to be better? What can we expect to be better? But we can simultaneously sit back as though we are on the corner in Winslow, Arizona, looking at a flatbed Ford and go, hey, you know what? That was a pretty good season in year one from Dan Lanning. And make it feel simultaneously both ways – um, we're winning. Jonathan Smith, Oregon State, same way. Probably hasn't been that easy to be a Beaver fan in the last 15 or 20 years. Certainly, you have a Fiesta Bowl win over Notre Dame. Obviously, you have the Mike Riley tenure and Dennis Erickson, which hit some high notes. And Riley certainly won 29 games in a three-year span. It was like Oregon State was right there, but it just happened to coincide with the rise of Chip Kelly in Oregon football, and it got overshadowed a little bit. And Beaver fans, I think, got tired and maybe a little frustrated and weary with playing second fiddle to Oregon. And, you know, and but I think you're looking at Jonathan Smith right now through that prism, and you're going, gosh, 10 wins? Uh, 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 an encore season that features a transfer quarterback that is one of the most interesting players in college football right now like dj uyangalele he might not be the best quarterback in the pac-12 or the second or the third or maybe even the fourth best but i'll tell you this he's the most interesting quarterback in the pac-12 if we're doing an all interesting pac-12 team dju is the most interesting player who will take a snap this season really going to have an impact and we don't know quite know what it is Like, you know, Colorado's got Travis Hunter playing both ways. Phenomenal player, phenomenal athlete, really good story. Is he going to be the second coming of Deion Sanders, Neon Deion? We'll see it at Colorado. That's interesting. But I'm also looking over at DJ going, that's kind of fun. Like, let's see what happens with this kid. That's what sports is supposed to be. The problem that I have had probably in the last 10 years especially in sports is that it has become this battleground for political agenda, which none of us really wanted. But I get why it's become that. It's become that space because it's one of the last places that we all sort of convene. We all go there. Bob Iger, the Disney president, said, you know, sports has this great appeal where it can bring large audience rapidly to one place. Well, the politicians have figured that out. The political people with political agendas have figured that out, too, because they're going, oh, we got everybody. This is a chance to reach the other side or those who are neutral and you can't do that in most spaces you can't do it on social media because what happens on social media your algorithm dictates what you see so sports yeah became this place and also has become a place where money and media rights and trade demands and everything that feels too much like that other thing your life and and so it's my job and it's the job of this show in part to Weed through it, try to make it as 
enjoyable and palatable as possible. And, you know, and if it involves a bison goring a 47-year-old woman, I hope she's okay. Or some light chatter about, you know, what whether Coach Prime should call me BFT on Friday's Media Day. So be it. But I do take great pride and responsibility in trying to turn this show into an escape for you. And I hope it is. I hope that when you listen to this show, you are uh, driving somewhere and you're going, this is not at all like the crap you've been dealing with all day. Okay, It's not the economy. It's not health care. It's not your aging parents. It's not your bad boss. It's not, you know, uh, you know, the bills come and due on the 15th or whatnot. It's something else. It's something lighter. It's something better. So I appreciate everybody who is here, and we will continue to try to make the aim of the show an escape for you. And on that note, I want to know, Stephen, have you been to Yellowstone Park? Have you seen a bison up close? And would you dare step out of the car if there were a bison five feet away? I wouldn't. Uh, as an answer to no on all those, uh, definitely I would love to go there. But if I did see one, yeah, I would be heading the other direction like you. Like, I, I, you know. I'm not a big animal guy, and you know, not even like pets. Like I don't, I don't have a pet. Um, I had a cat growing up, but it was like, yeah, I was fine. Like I like the cat, but I don't want any pets now. Um, so I'm just, I'm just not an animal guy. I just don't trust them. I feel like they can really, you know, in the wild, especially, they're gonna get me. Not on my territory. I'm just, I'm just not an animal guy. So you're not a doctor, Doolittle. No, I'm not. I can't, I can't speak to them. So I, yeah, if I see a bison, I will definitely be uh, just heading the other way, or you know, in the car, just sitting there, scared for my life. I saw something the other day. I thought of you yesterday because this giant container washed up on the shore, and I believe it was in Australia, and it washes up on the beach, and it's like six feet tall, and nobody quite knows what it is, and it doesn't look like a shipping container. It looks more like a piece of a rocket potentially. And I thought about you because I thought nobody knows what the hell that is. And, uh, and nobody knows what, or here it is. It's in Australia and a mysterious metal object that is washed up on the beach and they are being called in. They're calling in all these state and federal agencies to look at this heavily barnacled cylinder that has been, you know, found and, and, uh, you know, they're, they're trying to figure out what the hell it is to me. It looks like space junk, but I'm not touching it, you know? And it's another reminder that the ocean is so blasted big that something could potentially have fallen from outer space and nobody noticed it. Noticed it. And it landed in the ocean and has since washed up on the beach. You said once upon a time, you don't go out there. They don't come up on land. That's their place. This is my place. I'm looking at this object right now, a picture of it, and it looks like a giant thermos container that's made out of metal. It's like six feet tall, and it is washed up on a beach near Perth. I mean, isn't it the unwritten rules? Like we don't, you know, we don't mess with you. You're not gonna mess with us. Like I feel like that's what it is for me. I mean, like I, you know, we were in Lake Tahoe. Even me going in the lake, like I felt a little weird about it. I'm like, oh man, there's probably something out here. You know, I'm not going out deep. <laughs> I'm not going deep out there. I'm staying by the shore, so just in case, you know, I can run back. Always on my feet. So I'm not the strongest swimmer. I want to go as far out as I can on my toes, walking out Was the out water there. cold in Lake Tahoe, cold and clear? It, it was very clear. Um, I, I, I didn't think it was that cold. It was actually warmer than I thought it would be. It was very refreshing, I thought. But, yeah, very clear. Probably the best water I've ever really swum in. So it was, it was awesome. One of my grandmothers and grandfathers lived in South Lake Tahoe, and they owned and operated a small motel right near the state line. It was called the Blackjack Motel. And it was um, – 
a good memory for me because we would spend our summers there. And we would go stay for a week or two with grandma and grandpa, and we'd see Lake Tahoe. But my grandmother, probably because she was anxious and running a motel, had a police scanner on at all times in the uh, manager's unit. And she would um, she would warn us not to go into the lake. She would say that, you know, the mob dumps bodies in the lake, that those bodies float, and the lake's so cold it preserves them, and that there was a Loch Ness monster in the lake. And so... Once I can remember, my parents they uh, they rented a small like eight foot aluminum boat with a little outboard motor on it, and we went out into Lake Tahoe, and I must have been like nine years old. I'm on the front of this boat looking into the crystal clear water. You could see the bottom of Lake Tahoe as we we're leaving the dock, and I was terrified. And I know, <laughs> I know, we lasted out there maybe like eight minutes before my dad was like, "We better turn around, get this thing back in." Everybody was like shaking. On the boat, and it was done in part because my grandmother terrified us. She had sent us out on the lake, telling us that there were going to be bodies floating up and whatnot. And so I'm kind of like you; I don't belong out there either. I, mean, I feel like maybe if I was a better swimmer, it would be a little different. But I like I I can swim to survive, right? Like I, you know, if I fell out of a boat, I could swim back to the boat and get on if I'm not wearing a life jacket. But like if I have to swim a long distance, it's over. It's game over for me. And so I just don't even want to take a chance. Like I, I just don't want to take a chance of me falling in the water, swimming out there, and then having something come at me because I can't get away. You is know? your are, is your wife a good swimmer? Yeah, really good swimmer. I mean, they grew up they grew up you know on like traveling, going to lakes and on boats and swimming pools. Not not me. You know, I was uh, I was more of a suburb boy with you know the little plastic pool in the backyard, slip and slide. It's interesting because in college I dated a girl who was a swimmer, woman who was a swimmer. She was a really good swimmer. And I can remember we went to a lake, and you know how they have, like, on a lot of the lakes, they'll have, like, a uh, a little uh, floating structure that's out in the water that's, you know, like a deck, and it's floating out there, and people will swim out, and they'll sunbathe on it. And I can remember swimming out there, and she was swimming in front of me, and she was just a fantastic swimmer. She reached this thing in, like, a, you know, a half the time it took me to sort of struggle to get there. By the time I got to it, I was exhausted. I lifted myself onto the structure, and she goes, okay, it's time to go back in, and she dives into the water, and she starts swimming back in. And I waited a minute, and then I jumped into the water, and I got to tell you, Stephen, I I got about halfway back to shore. My arms were gone. I was only using my legs. I was starting to eyeball the shore and go, is anybody watching me? Is anybody going to see me if I start to get in trouble? Like, I can't lift my arms anymore. And just at the moment where I thought I was in real trouble, my tippy, tippy toes scraped the bottom of sand. I've never been happier. I've never swam out to any kind of structure, and I'm with you. I can swim to survive, and that's it. What Don't a, need it. What a good feeling that had to have been, to feel feel the ground. <laughs> you're die. like, all right, we're 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 here. Like, we made it. I could walk again. Because you know what? These fish animals or these sea animals, they can't walk. No. Let, let, you know, let's be real. Unless there's something really crazy, they can't get on land and walk. So if, as long as I can walk, I feel like I'm okay, and I can defend myself. I don't. I just, I didn't want to have to call for help, you know, in that situation. We hadn't been dating very long, and I didn't want to be like, help, I can't get back to the shore. Yeah, that's a, that's a bad look. That's a bad look right there. <laughs> that's the probably, time, uh, yeah, deal breaker. I was a little panicked. I was looking at people on the shore going, are they watching me? Or does anybody know I'm out here? Is anybody under? Leave it here. You got the BFT. Some parting thoughts coming up. Well, we've talked about Damian Lillard. I'm on uh, record believing that Lillard is going to start his season in Portland. 
Uh, I'm not talking to anybody in Lillard's camp about that. And frankly, I'm not talking to the Blazers. I'm just reading the tea leaves. Steven, where do you think he ends up starting the season, or where does he end up ultimately? Does he end up in Miami or Portland or Utah or somewhere else? I think if uh, if all the odds are even, I still would put him in Miami to start the season. I think Pat Riley can get something worked out where they get a third, maybe a fourth team involved, and a trade does to get done because it does seem like Dame does want to go to Miami. You know, there's you know conflicting things of. You know, Dane's been putting out some weird Instagram videos. He tweeted at uh, 7.50 the game at us when we tweeted at him, and he was some weird uh, things going on with Dane. But I think ultimately he ends up in Miami to start the season because I, I do think Miami sees their window of opportunity, and it's closing very fast with Jimmy Butler on their team. Uh, I think J- Dame and Jimmy Butler being in their 30s really makes it so they put a lot of pressure on Pat Riley to get that done, to get a championship-level team. So I think – they figure out a way to do it because Pat Riley, I think, is you know he's one of the best. He's one of the best to ever do it uh, as a general manager, you know, front office guy. So I think he can figure out a way to get a third, fourth team involved and then get Portland the assets that they desire uh, back in for Damian Lillard. I think the Blazers are hurt by not having a general manager who's got a lot of experience. And clearly, I think I think I'm on record. I think they're hurt by the fact that they don't have an owner. But Daryl Morey, the Philadelphia 76ers general manager, went on a radio station in Philadelphia today, and admitted that James Harden prefers to be somewhere else, but said that the team would only trade him for a player who will keep the Sixers a title contender. Now, Harden has opted into his deal, $35.6 million for uh, the 2023-2024 season, and with the intention, though, of being traded, and he wants to play for the Clippers. Is this different than the Blazers' negotiation. Because Maury, who knows Harden and spent eight seasons with him in Houston, said he's trying to honor Harden's request but will only do it at the right pl- at the right price. He says if we don't get a good player or something that we can turn into a good player, we're not going to do it. Are the Blazers hurt today because they don't have a GM who can come out and say that? Yes. I think the Blazers have been hurt by having Joe Cronin as their GM and the fact that they haven't built – you know, tr- around Damian Lillard, but I never thought that that was his intention. As soon as he took the job, I thought, well, he kind of wants to start over. That's what new GMs do. So I just think with th- the less experience, yeah, I think it does hurt a little bit because, you know, teams are going to be able to, you know, Daryl Morey can say things out in the public and he's going to not get as much backlash. Or if he does get backlash, he'll just go back to say, you know what? Well, I, I brought the Rockets to, you know, a quarter, within a quarter of making the NBA finals. Like, I'm that good of a guy in this job. So, yeah, I think it does hurt a little bit that Joe Cronin had no experience as a GM right now in this situation. But this, I mean, this, this trade is going to define Joe Cronin's legacy. Like, if it's a good trade for Cronin, he could go down and be, you know, have a job for the next five years. If it's a bad trade, he could be gone in a couple of years. Like, that's how big this trade really is with Joe Cronin's legacy. And I think right now, you know, we, we kind of said this yesterday. If, if this is a game, this is probably the second quarter between, you know, Dame and the trade and the Heat. I think the Heat are probably beating the Blazers right now, but the Blazers are catching up. The thing is, the Blazers have the trump card, right? They have Damian Lillard. Like, they don't have to trade him. For four they've years, got, yeah. They've got him under contract. And, you know, I think my big question to Camp Lillard would be, if you suspected that you weren't going to be here, why sign the extension? You could have had control of your legacy and put a lot more pressure on the Blazers. So did something change? Do you think something changed, or do you think – Lillard said, uh, I'm, I can't get this money anywhere else. I'm getting more money by staying and signing in Portland. 
So I'm going to sign the extension, then ask out. Yeah, I think it was a little bit of both. I think he does. I think he does genuinely like playing in Portland. I think that is a thing. Like he probably would rather stay in Portland if all things were even. If I was all considered, like he was drafted by the Blazers, I think he'd rather stay here. But the fact that they couldn't get a team around him, I then think he looks at it and says, "Well, I want to get my money first, and then I want to look to get traded." But I do want to ask you this, John: Do you think the Damian Lillard camp made a mistake by saying? Miami is the only team that we really want to play for because they they know what the assets had Miami has and it wasn't much. So to put them in a box like this in a blender says to put it all in the Blazers pressure on Joe Cronin to make a trade like it doesn't seem like it was very smart of them to come out and say Miami. I think they or underestimated. They underestimated the Blazers. They yeah. I think I think Aaron Goodwin, Damian Lillard's agent, had dealt with Paul Allen over the years, and had dealt with Bob Witsit when Witsit was in charge. And Neil Olshay's gone and thought that they could just come in and dictate what they wanted and that Joe Cronin and Burt Cold and Jody Allen don't know what they're doing. Like, literally think about the brain trust of the Blazers right now. It is Jody Allen, sister and trustee for the Paul Allen estate. It's Burt Cold, the vice chair, who was Paul Allen's college roommate. And it's Joe Cronin, a former, you know, intern who has risen to become general manager in name and maybe in autonomy, but probably not. So Cronin's probably taken the call, and he's running it upstairs to the uh, to the brain trust. And you're dealing with that instead of Eric Spolstra and Pat Riley and the Miami Heat owner. Think about the difference, the dichotomy there, in in the and the difference of those conversations that Aaron Goodwin is having as he pivots to the Heat and says to them, "Hey, Dame wants to come play here." You're talking to Pat Riley. You're talking to Eric Spolstra. You're talking to an owner in Miami who has been a long-time esteemed owner. And now you're pivoting back to the Blazers, and you're going, these guys don't know what they're talking about. They don't know what they're doing. So I think he, I think they underestimated him. And, and, and to, like I said it before, and I'll say it again, the silver lining for Blazers fans of that relationship is that I don't think Burt in particular is going to want to look dumb. I think there there's a real reluctance to take a risk because a risk could make you look foolish. Everybody I've talked with that has dealt with Burt in basketball situations says he was the guy who came into the room on draft day, you know, a few minutes in front of Paul Allen, his buddy, and would turn to the scouts and go, who do we like? And then they would go, well, we like this guy and this guy. And then Paul would walk into the room and Burt would go, we like this guy and this guy. Like, literally, that happened. That's It's almost like a sitcom. And so that guy's now making the decisions. Like, he's not – the silver lining will be he's not going to want to look dumb. He's looking over at what Kevin Durant brought in return when he was traded from Brooklyn, and he's looking at Rudy Gobert, and he's saying, we have to have that kind of deal. And so if you're a Blazer fan, I think you really can have a little bit of comfort knowing that I think the Blazers at this point are only going to do a deal that looks lopsided. And Miami's going to have to either figure that out or Miami's not going to be the trade partner or Lillard's coming back to Portland next year. It's almost like, you know, with the Pac-12 media rights, I felt like I wanted Klyovkov to say more, but he held all of his cards to his chest. With the Blazers or with Aaron Goodwin and Dame, they played their cards a little too early. And I think it was the middle ground where they should have waited a little bit and maybe not just said heat or nothing. It should have been something else. But I think they played their cards a little too early. And like you said, they underestimated, I think, Burt Cold's lack of 
knowledge yes. of basketball of wanting to lose in a trade. Like he wants to look good. He wants to be good. And I've heard this too, where you know Jody Allen and Burt Cold, they wanted the Blazers to draft Scoot because they knew it'd look good on him. Like he's going to be a good yep. player. And so, it, I think that has a lot of truth to it. I think it's going to be interesting. Interesting to see where they end up. We got a great show for you tomorrow. Uh, another great show on Thursday that's coming together. Uh, Andrew Percival, who is a data analytics guy, worked in Major League Baseball, is going to be joining us on Thursday to break down the Pac-12 football schedules. He's going to geek out on that. Friday, of course, is Pac-12 Media Day. We'll be live 3 to 6 p.m. from Vegas with all of the interviews. The Bald Face Truth, not here for a long time, just a good time. Make sure you grab a podcast, share it with your friends and family, and don't get gored by a bison. Stay away from the bison.